Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. The Nismo Countdown to Green on RadioLeMans.com with Nismo. Eat, sleep, race, repeat. Eat, sleep, race, repeat. How are we going to do it now? So, the final Sunday of August, and welcome to Radio Le Mans' coverage of the fourth round of the World Endurance Championship. We've had to wait two full months since the Le Mans 24 hours. Can't wait to go racing again. Hey, guys, this time we're going to the Nürburgring. Great to be back at this fantastic uh, German circuit, and I'm delighted to report that this weekend, as well as Paul Truswell, who will be giving us all the facts and figures, the stats and the analysis from the Woking Data Centre, we've got a captive driver. Alex Brundle, welcome to the show Nürburgring, what do you think about that? Wow, um, yeah, great. Uh, I'm really excited to watch this new venue for the World Endurance Championship. Um, it's going to be really, really interesting. Obviously, the guys have tested here uh, uh, a couple of weeks back now, but uh, how will this track evolve and, and who will come out on top uh, without the data behind them to, uh, to work with? Yes, for a lot of drivers, it's a very, very different environment. Yes, of course, they've had that testing, but there's nothing, nothing beats actually going out and racing around a circuit, and particularly somewhere like the Nürburgring. Weather can be quite a factor. We saw that on Friday, wet track when they went out early on. Today, of course, luckily, it's sunny, but it does give you a diverse stage on which to perform. Absolutely, and mixed conditions in uh, free practice, absolutely not what they're needing, talking about that um, new that new track layout. Uh, it makes it all the more difficult to gather the data. You know, these guys are working on uh, things like the the their tyre programmes, their, their fuel consumption, etc. They need that data in FP1, FP2 to extrapolate for, for the race distance, and that's just not available to them. So I think a couple of surprises will be thrown uh, the way uh, of the competitors here today, and I uh, it's going to be really interesting to see who can do their work on the fly and and make uh, almost the dirty decision, if you like, as, as this race wears on. Well, quite so. Look at the top of the grid. It goes Porsche, Porsche, Audi, Audi, Toyota, Toyota. I don't think that comes as a big surprise looking at the ring. But we're going to bring, bring Paul Trusswell in, if we may, because of the uh, FIA and the WEC, their technical, technical departments have been busy, Paul, and uh, we've had a few changes uh, under the bonnet, I suppose we could say. Yeah, it, it seems all a long time ago since Le Mans, doesn't it, somehow? Light years, it really does. Almost <laughs> feels like last season. But anyhow, we're now back with vim and vigour after the summer break. But the technical guys have been doing their work, which made less of a summer break for the technical guys with the teams. That, that's, that's right. I mean, the, um, the, the endurance committee, which is kind of the, the decision-making element of the FIA WEC, um, have it within their power after Le Mans to kind of just sh- shift the um, performance parameters, the adjustment of performance, as they call it. Uh, and what they've done is they've uh, they've tweaked nearly everything. Um, they've given the petrol-powered cars a little bit more fuel. They've given the diesel-powered cars uh, a little bit was it uh, a little bit more fuel, a little bit less fuel. They've, they've changed that. I must just check that. Um, but the overall impact has been to limit um, by what could be up to uh, interest on what Alex's opinion is, but my, I reckon about three quarters of a second per lap around the Nurburgring, uh, the performance of the Porsche relative to the Audi. So um, although Porsche were quicker in 
qualifying uh, in race trim we may well see the Audis just a little bit closer to the tune of about three quarters of a second from where they were at Le Mans so it's not a, a kind of uh, a change in absolute terms it's relative to where they were at, uh, at Le Mans that point seven of a second by my calculation um, but it's as I say it will close things up the other thing which will be interesting is that they've given an awful a lot more energy to the privateers so to the rebellion principally um and an equivalent amount of fuel increase as well so uh, 75 liters uh, now uh, to be carried by the uh, rebellions uh, as compared to the 67.4 liters which is what the other petrol powered competitors get uh, so it'll be interesting to see whether the rebellions the privateer lmp1 cars are able to just close the gap a little bit uh, in terms of pace uh, i suspect they're still going to be coming into the pits early um, I haven't been listening to what you've been saying, but I suspect that they'll be coming in at around about 45 minutes, whereas the hybrid P1 cars will be coming in at around 50 minutes. Uh, and in terms of laps, that translates to around about, I reckon, 30, 31, possibly even 32 laps for uh, Porsche and Audi. Porsche possibly with an extra lap in hand. Theoretically, certainly, they have an extra lap uh, but it depends they had an extra lap in hand at Le Mans but they chose not to do it uh, in order to just keep the pit stop times down so uh, yes it has been an interesting close season uh, and it'll be very interesting to see how the race actually pans out and I'm sure a lot of the teams even though they've had data as we've said coming from the test session coming from the free practice sessions but there's also uh, race data and you can only get race data in race simulation in proper race mode you can't simulate a race as well uh, and so the first stints will be very interesting to see exactly what the pace is uh, and when those first pit stops happen as I say I would say around about the 30 lap 32 lap mark for the pit leading p1 hybrid cars yeah absolutely it's it's going to be really interesting I completely mirror what you say about race data I mean uh, it, it's very circuit specific uh, the, the balance of race cars changes massively, especially through an endurance race. The, the track is a living, breathing organism in a way. It, you know, it develops, rubber's laid down, uh, and, and it moves forward. And it's never like that again until the end of the next six-hour race. So the circuit is never as it is, uh, you know, at hour five of a six-hour race at any other time uh, ever. So And the other... Yeah, the other thing, Alex, is, of course, the, the tyre allocations, because exactly how the tyres worked. I mean, what uh, everybody does agree on, I think, is that the uh, Michelin tyres are better this year than they were last year. But what we saw at Spa was Porsche really chewing up their tyres and being unable to double stint them. Well, I don't think they're going to have to double stint them at the Nürburgring, um, but... Uh, if they do have to change them at every stop, that does make every stop a little bit longer. Uh, and if Audi can double stint, then even if uh, they've got the tyre allocation, they're allowed to use eight sets uh, at the Nürburgring. Um, but I reckon that um, Audi will be able to double stint, but it will be an advantage, obviously, in reducing the pit stop times. Yeah, notoriously tough on tyres, actually. Um, it, it, the Nurburgring it's always been a very uh, abrasive circuit and a lot of banking so a lot of kind of high load uh, particularly over particularly over the front axle and um, yeah it's, it's going to be interesting to see how that pans out obviously it's a hard loss as well because of course in the WEC we can't do tyres at the same time as fuel um, so that is, that's going to be an interesting tyre battle uh, they're going to have to be a lot quicker to, to make up that you know some 
kind of 19 seconds at, at best um, uh, over over each and every stint or every second stint as it would be. And also for Paul, the... T- for the t- oh, sorry, Paul, come in. Uh, no, I was just going to say, picking up on using Alex's expertise on this, what I found interesting from Le Mans um, was that Porsche were able to um, turn the car around in the pits uh, quicker than Audi were. Now, part of that was due to the fact they were putting less fuel in, but that didn't explain all of the of the gap, and it seems that Porsche have found something, uh, whether it's in uh, being able to refuel a little bit quicker, whether it's in uh, having a slightly more efficient tyre change, ballet as I tend to call it, uh, or whether it's purely the acceleration with that huge power that they've got, which is helping them. But Porsche seems to be right on it now with pit stops. It, it can be a, a variety of factors. Some cars are just plain quicker to pit stop. Than, than others for inexplicable reasons things like the weight of the wheels matter the the form of the arch and how much space there is around it um for example a gt car in general will be quicker because you you can actually see as we as we watch um the uh, the ferrari uh, number 51 um doing its qualifying um uh, earlier on in the weekend that actually there's a little bit of space around that wheel arch area and and it's a little bit quicker to get round uh, so it could just be the specificity of of the chassis and and how it's designed allowing them allowing them to do that um of course there is the the practice and and the drilling of the pit stop team as well uh, which which of course um teams especially work works teams work relentlessly on um so if, if they have managed to to turn that car around just a little bit quicker you know team a team sport um nowhere uh, more so than in endurance racing, so um, so that's that's hard time that that doesn't have to be won lap by lap out on the racetrack. Yeah, very well explained, Alex. But uh, for the teams, of course, a lot of them, yes, they came here in testing. But the last time some of these teams, they may never have come and raced at the Nurburgring before, because you could, the last time prototypes of any caliber raced here was uh, back in two thousand and nine. That's a long time ago. Victory that time for Jan Chirouz, Thomas Enger, and Stefan Mucha in a Lola Aston Martin, but. You know, six years, it feels like light years. And really, you could say the last time there was a top, I, I don't know if you'd concur with this, Paul, the last time there was a top World Championship-style sports car race, it was 1991, when the XJR14 uh, took victory. David Brabham and Derek Warwick. In between, we've had other lesser uh, championships coming to race sports cars at the ring, but it's uh, been off the calendar too long, in my my reckoning. Uh, yeah, the only thing, I don't know, there's a bit of the, uh, the traditionalist in me, as you well know, Bruce, but... Uh, I would far rather have a thousand k's of the Nurburgring rather than six hours of the Nurburgring. I know the WEC runs to dis- to timed races rather than distance races, um, but there's just something about the phrase the Nurburgring thousand k's which kind of um, flows off the tongue a little bit better, whereas the six hours of the Nurburgring doesn't quite flow as well. Uh, although interestingly, the more recent uh, races and you refer to the uh, 2009 uh, race which was in the Le Mans series um, more recently we've had the Blancpain Endurance series running uh, what they called the Nürburgring 1000 Ks but it was in effect limited to six hours um, so uh, both of the recent 2013-2014 Blancpain Endurance races actually ran to six hours but this is the first time that we've ever had a six hours of the Nürburgring as the title of the race I like 1,000Ks as well because I think, you know, in a marketing sense for the manufacturers involved, it's also road relevant. You know, you go, OK, I've got to go from here to there in my in my lovely 
Aston Martin I've just bought, that is a thousand k's away. You don't go, uh, oh, I'm just going to go for a nice six hour drive. And I, and I think yeah, that, that it, there is a kind of right. The distance needs to be needs to be covered. How are they going to do it? You know, how how is the strategy to cover that distance being worked out? And in fact, I, I go with that because I also think. I go 100% with what Paul says, keeping the name 1,000Ks, Nürburgring, but also having a little bit of variety in terms of distance. That doesn't, that, that's good. I like a little bit of variety being knitted in as long as it's, we're not going racing for an hour and a half. We're not talking about that. But uh, what we do know, of course, is we're going to have a great race, 31 cars. Paul, do you, feel, do you feel ready to do a grid rundown? Uh, yes, I can do if you want. Do you want to, you want to um, take it from the top? I've told people we have Porsches on the very front of it all. Uh, well, you're absolutely right. Yes, uh, the number 18 car quicker in qualifying than the number 17. So it's the uh, number 18 car, which is Roman Dumas, Neil Yarny and Mark Lieb. Uh, the two who did the qualifying were Lieb and Dumas. Um, Lieb, because remember in WEC qualifying, there are two drivers that do the qualifying and the uh, qualifying time is then the average of their two fastest laps. So uh, fastest lap of driver one, fastest lap of driver two, get averaged, averaged out. Uh, that gives you your qualifying qualifying time uh, and it was the number 18 car uh, Mark Lieb and uh, sorry Mark Lieb and Roman Dumas who did the qualifying but Neil Yarny as the third driver actually gets to start the car so number 18 will start on pole uh, number 17 Porsche will start alongside it um, on the front row of the grid and it was Timo Bernhardt and Mark Webber who did the timing uh, did the practice uh, qualifying laps and Timo Bernhardt will start so 18 17 Neil Yarny and 17 Timo Bernhardt on the front row. The second row is, are the two Audis, uh, again the wrong way round if you will, number eight ahead of number seven. Uh, number eight will be started by Loic Duval and again he was the driver who didn't get to qualify the car. Uh, Oliver Jarvis and Lucas Degrassi the two who actually did the qualifying uh, but Loic Duval will start and in number seven uh, same, uh, no, not the same pattern there, because Marcel Fessler and Andre Lotterer did the qualifying, and Marcel Fessler will take, take the start. So, eight Loic Duval and seven Marcel Fessler, the starting drivers in uh, the on the second row of the grid. Third row, two Toyotas. Uh, they are the right way around. Numbers one and two in that order, uh, and it will be in number one Kazu Nakajima uh, taking the start, and in number two Mike Conway. Uh, taking the start and that's all fair because the drivers who did the qualifying number one Anthony Davidson and number two Sebastian Buemi and in the number two car it was Stefan Sarazen and Alex Wurtz who did the qualifying uh, and that car was started by Mike Conway so all three of them will have uh, done some serious racing by the time uh, the green flag or the green light is shown one and two the third row the two Toyotas fourth row are the two rebellions numbers 12 and 13 uh, and it'll be Nick Heidfeld starting in number 12 and Alexander Imperatori starting in number 13 12 and 13 on the fourth row uh, the fifth row is the final of the LMP1 cars this being the team by Collis CLM uh, that car will be started by Pierre Kaffer, it's car number four, uh, and alongside it is the fastest of the LMP2 cars, number 47, uh, which Nick Tandy, hooray, uh, Le Mans winner, will be starting, so n numbers four and 47 on the fifth row. On the sixth row, uh, on the sixth row we have the 
second fastest LMP2 car, and this is the G-Drive Racing Ligier uh, being started by Sam Bird, and alongside it is the Signatec Alpine uh, of Nelson Panchatiti, car number 36, 26 and 36, row 6. On the seventh row is the second of the G-Drive Racing Ligiers, uh, Pippo Durrani starting that one, Luis Felipe Durrani, and alongside him will be Ollie Webb starting in the uh, number 43, Team Saad Morand uh, Morgan, which has had various problems uh, with legal things during the weekend. Hopefully it will all be there and sort of by the time the race starts. Uh, and if you uh, have been taking note, you'll be also have realised that there's a second British driver at the wheel of that car in the shape of Archie Hamilton. He's joining Pierre Rag and Oliver Webb, but as I say, Oliver Webb will be the starter. 28 and 43, row 7. Row 8 is the Stracker Racing car number 42, the Gibson, uh, which will be started by Johnny Kane. And alongside it is car number 30, the faster of the two extreme speed motorsports Lisiers with their HPD engines, and that'll be started by Ryan DL. Uh, so 42, Johnny Kane, and 30, Ryan DL, row 8. Row 9 is the second of the two extreme speed motorsport Ligier HPDs. Uh, Johannes van Overbeck will be starting that one, number 31, and alongside it will be the fastest of the GT cars, number 51, Jimmy Bruni, starting in the air, of course, of Ferrari. 31 and 51 on the ninth row. On the tenth row is the second of the AF course of Ferrari's number 71, James Collado will be starting that car, and alongside it will be number 95, Marco Sorensen, uh, starting in the... Uh, GTE Pro class car, uh, but uh, Marco Sorensen sharing with Christopher Nygaard, uh, and Sorensen will start that car 71 95. That's row 10. Row 11 is the fastest of the Porsche GT cars, Fred Makovici driving the number 92 car, and alongside that is the other uh, Manti Racing Porsche number 91, uh, Michael Christensen starting that car uh, number 91. 92 and 91 is row 11. Row 12 is number 99, Richie Stanaway at the wheel of the uh, number 99, uh, Aston Martin, uh, the V8 Vantage. And alongside that is number 97, Stefan Mucker, driving in uh, the other GTE Pro Aston Martin, 99 and 97 on row 12. Row 13 is number 72. This will be Victor Schweiter driving in the first of the GTE uh, Pro, uh, sorry, GTE Am Ferrari 458 Italias for SMP Racing uh, and alongside him will be 98, the Aston Martin, again the first of the AM, the fast test of the Aston Martins in the AM class, number 98, Pedro Lamy taking the start in that car, 72 and 98, uh, row 13, row 14 is Patrick Long driving the Porsche number 77, Patrick Dempsey, uh, car, the Dempsey Proton racing car but started by Patrick Long. Uh, and alongside that is number 83, the AF Corsa Ferrari in the GTE AM class, which Emmanuel Collard will be starting. 7783 is row 14. Row 15 is number 88, a number of the dry cars that had a driver nomination uh, fairly late in the day. Earl Bamber, another of the winning Porsche team at Le Mans. Uh, but here we're driving in the GTE AM class Abu Dhabi Proton Racing Porsche 911 RSR uh, and he's number 88 on the outs on the inside of row 15 and on the outside of row 15 is car number 50 the Labra Competition Chevrolet Corvette 
actually started by Paolo Roberti, 88 and 50 start on the 15th row. And the Norris is Todd at the back uh, of the 31 car grid. Car number 96 is the second of the uh, GTE Am Aston Martins, uh, number 96. And that'll be started by Francesco uh, Castellacci uh, in number 96. So those are the 31 cars that will be hopefully circulating uh, for as many as possible of the six hours of the Nürburgring, Bruce. Fantastic. Very well done. Thank you indeed, Paul. Now, we've had the rundown of the 31 cars, but uh, Alex Brundle, let's talk about the gaps between the the three works teams at the top, Porsche, Audi and Toyota, because uh, number 18 and 17 on the front row, they're separated by next to nothing, 0.069 of a second. But then we have just over a second back to the Audis and just over two seconds, 2.2 seconds back to the Toyotas. So we're looking at th- a real three strata qualifying, maybe as Paul Truswell said earlier, in race trim, the Audis have a little more speed relative to the Porsche or their differential will have been reduced. How do yeah, you see it? It's, it's all very Noah's Ark, isn't it, um, it uh, on, the, on the grid? But, you know, you know I'm always... I'm always a little bit interested when, you know, the powers that be suggest they're going to dish out, for example, seven tenths of a second uh, to, to this to this manufacturer, this chassis or that one. Because, you know, that's based on data from Le Mans, uh, which is, you know, absolutely miles and miles of flat out running, very, very high speed corners, uh, very limited uh, mechanical uh, kind of low speed cornering uh, and you come here to the Nürburgring where you know you're looking at the first sector very very tight and twisty yes there's some aero dominated parts yes you know you give it more power it goes faster simple give it more fuel you know they go faster or they go longer simple but it's a pretty complex calculation then to start saying okay well we are certain that we can dish you out seven tenths of a second based on that racetrack made of public roads in the middle of france coming to this racetrack purpose built in the middle of germany which is completely different um uh, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out um but i I think yeah as 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 you say porsches with a significant pace advantage uh, over the audi and again a significant pace advantage over the toyota um i think audi are going to have to do something reasonably special to, to to overcome that deficit, um, especially in, at the Nurburgring, which is a track that tends to bring uh, chassis together and, and drivers together. A lot of the, it's definitely from the middle sector onwards, is kind of a positive camber uh, to the to the whole layout of the circuit, uh, which makes you know not easy by any stretch of the imagination. But it tends to give the drivers confidence. It tends to make the cars feel good. It tends to make it a little bit more difficult, for example, to make an error. And uh, and that and that tends to to bring fields together. I've seen it when I've raced here in in single seaters uh, a lot. And um, I'm surprised by those gaps at the front of the field. Um, and if they're aiming to bring the 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 manufacturers in in LMP1H together, then they'll have to be better than that. Okay, how's it? from a racing driver's point of view, as a racing circuit for going out and racing against rivals. Not, we're not talking about qualifying one at a time laps or make your own space laps. How much space is there? Very T- different from Le Mans. Tough like hell. This, this is a really, really, really tricky track uh, to pass on and to pass traffic because what tends to happen when you have those banked corners that, are, that we, we just discussed is that the GT drivers will tend to turn in very, very early and use the banking on the inside to turn the car, uh, which 
you know, which creates that kind of disappearing wedge scenario we see so much uh, when when incidents are replayed. Um, and so, if if breaking distances aren't significantly different, again, they're brought closer together by the banking in the mid corner, so you can attack. Uh, the breaking zone, find yourself in the mid corner and sort it out using the bit of the banking to help you. So breaking distance is shorter, uh, cars turning in earlier and that opportunity, that period of time where you can overspeed and pass uh, just diminishes and diminishes and diminishes. So uh, yeah, look look for that actually. Uh, that, could be, that could be a defining feature of this race. Um, as you come through the, the first sector, you're going to have to follow someone all the way until Dunlop um, it, it, before you can make a move. So, I mean, always the, the rush to the first corner can be critical in any race. But uh, for the Audis, they've got that little dash down to the start of the Mercedes arena. But then it's, it's a right and it's two lefts and then a very tight right to get out of it. But there's quite a width of track going into the corner. So for uh, the likes of Loic Duval and Marcel Fessler, championship leader Marcel Fessler, with his uh, teammates André Lotterer and Benoit Trelouille, they could do something very early on to try and uh, put one over the Porsches. Of course. It tends to pinch up a little bit uh, on the apex of that first right-hander. There's lots of space out wide. Um, so if they have a little nerf, then it's not necessarily a big deal. Not that they'd be aiming to do that at the beginning of a six-hour race, of course. But um, yeah, the drop-off on the inside, I've seen people spin, actually, on that drop-off. Uh, I can't remember who it was, but there was a, a GP2 title contender a couple of years ago who went down the inside there, locked up the rear axle as as the wheel came off the floor and spun the car completely on the plank, um, just seesawing on that on that drop off on the apex of one. Um, but yeah, it, it tends to settle down by the time you get through that long off camber left and uh, and down da- and down into three but um yeah th- that run to the first corner is going to be more important than than uh than it has been previously well again i was just thinking of another corner that's got a very very tight line it's the final corner at the red bull ring the drop off there if you go right by the apex you can totally unbalance the car and look a complete chimpanzee as your car goes uh, spinning out over the edge looking forward to two formation laps ahead of ahead of this fourth round of the world endurance championship here on Radio Lamore, myself, Bruce Jones, Alex Brundle, delighted to have him alongside me in the studio. And uh, Paul Trustwell will be keeping an eye on all that happens. So we've had these change in the technical regulations or sort of readjustment, if you will. We've got six hours of racing ahead of us. Track conditions look fantastic. It's uh, 31 degrees track temperature and 27 air temperature. So certainly the weekend has really picked up from a rather damp start on Friday morning. We've got the two Porsches on the front row, the two Audis behind them and the two Toyotas on row three. LMP2 pole was taken by uh, Matt Housen and Nick Tandy, of course, a Le Mans winner for Porsche, but he's back in LMP2. He'll be starting from 10th on the grid. The GTE Pro class will be led by the Ferrari number 51 with Jan Maria Bruni at the wheel, and Victor Scheitar in the 72 Ferrari will be leading GTE Am away from 25th on the grid. But I think we're going to have a cracking race here this afternoon, and we will see how those technical changes and readjustments have affected... Uh, the cars as we really get underway. One minute until the cars will go off on their two formation laps. And Alex Brundle, they're not having to really check track conditions. They look fantastic. Yeah, and, and that interests me then as to why there are two two formation laps because they have run these cars in dry conditions. If it was wet to dry, normally you wouldn't give them two formation laps anyway because it's because it's dry. Uh, it's it's not an issue. So I, I I'm not really sure why that could be. Could be the sh- short track. I don't know. Maybe. It's basically within the within the scope of the regulations. It's the idea is to have one lap where you 
um, how can I put it, mess about, um, are maybe not in nice, neat, tidy formation. And we do always consider that... it messing about. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you said that, that Alex, and not me. Um, that's why I like having proper racing drivers here, because it means that when I use uh, inappropriate <laughs> phrases, they can say whether or not they're valid. Um, but uh, no, it's one to have the messing about, as we can now officially call it, uh, and then one which is nice and tight in formation, and to get them uh, nicely lined up, whereas uh, you lose part of that uh, messing about ability if you do uh, the last part of the lap in tight formation, as um, you know, you do really need to do behind the uh, behind the pace car. So uh, it's it's kind of within the regulations to have the uh, the two formation laps, and uh, I think uh, that uh, is as it should be. KCMG's not going anywhere fast. Uh, interestingly, the number forty-seven LMP2 stuck on, there and he's got uh, he's Nick got, that up got and it running. going. Good. Well. Talk, we've talked about many things that are new this weekend. Of course, Stracker Racing are now appearing in a Gibson instead of a Dome. That's just managed to get underway, and the last handful of cars are pulling away. What are your thoughts on the Gibson? Uh, it was very, very fast uh, in, in the hands of Jota Sport at Le Mans. Um, yeah, I, I think it, it used to be quite uh, quite draggy, to be honest. They, well, to be honest, the, the balance of the car when I drove it in, in 2012... Uh, was was excellent in high downforce, but you couldn't lose enough downforce from the front end to ever run in low downforce trim properly for for the high speed circuits like Le Mans. I think uh, with the new update uh, when it became obviously it used to be called a Zytec back then, now now is a Gibson, same company, different name, but it uh, they they've managed to lose a little bit of that downforce or find a way to make the downforce more adjustable at the front end and now you can run it properly in low downforce trim which is why they managed to be um, so quick at Le Mans where the Zytec previously was was not quite was not quite there but yeah tremendously tremendously quick motor car and very much capable of being at the front of the field um of course they're going to be finding their way with it for a couple of weekends but uh, expect them to um arrive um, at the at the sharp end in, in short drift, I would say. Yeah, well, it's been sort of stop-start season and a half for Stracker Racing, and they've really got, got a very good driver lineup with Johnny Kane, Danny Watts, and Nick Leventis, and they just need to get racing on a constant basis to get back in the swing, get the team back fully up to speed again. You know, they had a lot of difficulties with that, uh, with the dome, uh, and the, the team very, very much involved with the design and manufacture of the car, and um, it, it was unfortunate that it, it not kind of worked out how they expected, because the, the guys at Stracker were really, really excited about it when it, it was the idea was initially conceived. I think they had a lot of kind of supply issues, etc., etc., uh, but they're back on the racetrack uh, and and that's what and that's where they should be so um we'll see how they get on today now one little thing i asked you earlier about what's it like to actually com- race on the nurburgring one thing i want to point out is they're using the fast final chicane the well call it what you will it could be the advent it could be the vidal chicane according to the circuit website but i think paul and i like to call it the ngk chicane which has been for many many moons and that's that the the trouble, with corn, the trouble with corner names here is that uh, they, they change according to who's paying the money, doesn't it? Um, but, uh, yeah, I think we say the fast version of the final chicane, uh, which is where the pit lane peels off, isn't it, Bruce? It is, it is indeed. And instead of a very tight left followed by an uphill tighter right, uh, tighter right it's a, a more graduated corner going in. It's still a chicane, but certainly uh, not likely to offer the destruction that uh, the very tight version often supplies. I think critically, though, it's another overtaking opportunity lost because nobody's slowing down enough for that to create a long enough braking zone. I mean, uh, we saw the the GT field in qualifying absolutely rallying it over the uh, over 
grass and curbs and whatever else down there um some some of the front runners you know not not troubled by the constraints of track limit very much free thinkers in that respect uh down in into into that into that final section of the track and um yeah it also changes the entry to the last corner which is now much much quicker and you've really got to get it wowed up um through through that final right hander because that that final uh the final long right comes uh, comes at you very, very quickly, and uh, there's not a lot of grip in there at all as we sit inside the Orica of KCMG with Nick Tandy. Because had people never been to the Nurburgring, I'm not talking about drivers, I'm talking about the fans, and they've only seen it on television, you can see them as gra- there's gradient change, but there's much more than you realise. Television always uh, sorts, so, sort of flat, flattens the whole thing, but when you come out of that final chicane, there's quite a crest to go over. Absolutely, there, there, and um, also it would be turn six and seven. Uh, the downhill from Ford Curve, Val- yeah, Valvoline Curve and Ford Curve seems like they are paying for that particular corner yeah. this weekend. Um, yeah, th- that is a really, really downhill section of the track. It's a really exciting track to drive. Uh, it's it's a fun it's a fun place to come to, and not necessarily a place that you would consider a massive classic if you were. Uh, you know, forced to name one, but um, an exciting track for the drivers. I'm sure they're happy we're here. Yes, and I, I think, frankly, so many circuits that have had a glorious uh, precedent, a circuit that's been before, they suffer by comparison. But had this been circuit been produced in its own right on a clean sheet of paper, I think people would have grown to like it far sooner. But uh, I go with you on the, the fact about the final chicane not being as tight as it has been in the past and the cars on their second formation lap are going through the fast right-hander in the dip where you can see the old circuit going off to your left, to Hatzenbach area. Uh, so we're getting towards the end of the second formation lap and as Paul explained, the field is tightening up, ready to make that uh, rolling start to six hours here at the Nürburgring. Weather conditions, fantastic. It's Porsche, Porsche, Audi, Audi, Toyota, Toyota, et al. behind them. Fourth round of the championship. Can't wait for it to get underway here on Radio Le Mans. garages and of course we're now getting the cameras running up and down the pit lane looking for faces we want to see all the cars get down into that tight right hander very cleanly the field is now nicely bunched as the the midfield goes through the chicane on the back straight the safety car has pulled into that pit entry that comes out of that final chicane and the lead Porsches side by side 18 ahead of 17 which is Neil Yarny ahead of Timo Bernhardt going around the final corner with the Audis tucking in right behind. Loic Duval and Marcel Fessler in the Toyotas. We've got, we've got Kazuki Nakajima and Mike Conway. The 31 cars come round the final corner. We have all 31 on the start, finish straight. Six hours of racing. We're underway and the pole sitting car with uh, Neil Yarni leads very tidily down into turn one. The Toyotas not able to challenge the Audis and in turn the Audis running side by side. Uh, down into the first corner but not able to challenge the the. Uh, the Porsches and Neil Yarny leads away from Timo Bernhard. Loic Duval and Marcel Fessler tuck in in order behind them. Down in uh, LMP2 in 10th place, we've got Nick Tandy leading the way for KCMG. So that little scare on the uh, start of the formation lap is behind them. And a nice tidy start. So Porsche managed to not only qualify, but get through the first few corners ahead. Now let's see what they can do in this race. Yeah, absolutely. Both Audis uh, a little bit sluggish off the mark to start with getting challenged down into turn one by the, the Toyotas. Uh, Porsche is flying very much in formation, as were the Audis. Uh, to be honest, as, as were the Toyotas, all aware they needed to make, through, make it through turn one uh, smoothly. And, uh, yeah, uh, a very, very polite start, a very, very well-managed start as well uh, by the two men uh, on, at the front of the field. 
No, it was, it was indeed, and I was impressed. I talked beforehand about the width you have on the circuit there down into the first corner. And don't forget, I just, just mentioned before the start that uh, the Audi trio of um, Marcel Fessler, Andre Lotterer and Ben Rotterlui are sitting on a very tidy lead in the championship. They don't, with 25 points for a win, they're 20 points clear, so they, they should still be coming out of this to the, the following round at the Circuit of the Americas in the championship lead. They didn't need to take uh, a gamble down into the first corner, and as Paul was saying before the start of the race, with these new technical regulations, we're going to have different points at which the pit stops come, and uh, we'll have to see. 30-31 was the pit stop point we've been talking about, Paul. Uh, yes, that's right. I've been, uh, as I say, I think well, we, we saw in uh, free practice uh, one of the Porsches do 30 laps at an average of 1 minute 40. Um, now, the critical point in terms of time is 51 minutes, because if you can get to 51 minutes, then you can uh, make it into a six-stop race. And I suspect this is going to be a six-stop race or a seven-stint race, depending how you uh, count things up. Um, but uh, so I would expect the LMP1Hs to be coming in round about the, because of the two formation laps, of course, that will knock a couple of laps off the uh, initial stint. Um, and indeed, they'll have not allowed, been allowed to fuel them um, whilst they were in echelon formation either. So there was a lap to get them onto the uh, formation beginning of the formation laps and then two formation laps so the initial stint will be shorter and I'd be thinking that's around 28 laps uh, but beyond that they'll settle into a routine I would say of 30-31 laps um, because they don't want to go um, completely dry they uh, as I said uh, earlier on we, we saw that at Le Mans the Porsches uh, keeping fuel in the tank uh, at nearly every pit stop uh, which meant they were a little bit quicker in the pits um, but uh, so expect to see the first pit stoppers will be the rebellions as I say with the extra power that they've been given um, even though they've been given an extra pit uh, an extra uh, fuel tank capacity they will also be uh, coming in at around about the 42 45 minute mark I reckon thank you very much so as the Porsches are leading away in grid formation Yani ahead of Timo Bernhard that's 18 ahead of 17 there's a gap of two seconds back to the better placed of the Audis. That's Loic Duval ahead of Marcel Fessler. So 2.1 seconds down and 3.2 seconds. One thing we didn't mention, Alex, before the start of the race, an announcement this week, fantastic news if you're a Porsche fan, is that uh, Porsche has extended its uh, WEC programme until to 2018. So great news for, Porsche, for fans of Porsche, but also of the World Endurance Championship. Absolutely. Uh, and why wouldn't they, to be honest? Uh, the, it's been a successful programme, hasn't it? Um, uh, the cars out front leading races, challenging you know the, the old guard and uh, you know they, they've they've come away with a, a Le Mans victory and uh, and so yeah absolutely and the Nürburgring uh, would seem like the the obvious and apt place um, to to announce that so thank you to them thank for you. for putting their faith behind endurance racing we like that and uh, and I, I it's great to see them out there for for the foreseeable and uh, they are leading this race for foreseeable, but it must be said that Loic Duval in the third-place Audi is closing on Timo Bernhardt. He's about half a second behind as they go down into Turn 1 to start the Mercedes Arena, but uh, the gap between first and second between Neil Yarny in the race-leading number 18 Porsche and Timo Bernhardt is 2.1 seconds, so he's starting to escape a little bit. The Toyota's dropping back, but the car that has dropped back is the number 13 Rebellion uh, racing AER1, and uh, that's with Alexander Imperatori, the Swiss driver. So that has dropped out of the top 10, meaning that uh, the KCMG LMP2 class leader, Nick Tandy, is now up into ninth place overall. He's uh, some distance back from the team by Collis 
uh, CLM at the moment, but uh, he's doing what he needs to do. But certainly the driver very much doing what he needs to do is Neil Yarny. He didn't, wasn't one of the qualifying drivers in the number 18 Porsche. That was left to Romain Dumas and Mark Lee, but he's been on attacking form all season. Yeah, he's definitely had his porridge this morning, hasn't he? He's, um, what, some half a second up the road again on that lap, building a gap of around two seconds. Leaders then uh, through the classes, Neil Yarny, obviously at the front of the field. Nick Tandy leads P2. Well, yeah, but the car that's now chasing him just had a change of position is Nelson Panciatici. He's got the Signatech Alpine up ahead of both of the G-Drive racing Ligiers. Just pulled off that move, and now he can see in the distance the uh, LMP2 class leader, but they lost a little bit of ground. Sorry, in fact, he's only got ahead of one of them. I jumped. I thought we had two orange and black behind, but it's a pink and black behind, so he's only got ahead of uh, Pipo Dirani, not yet of Sam Bird. So, yes, I got him past one, but I put him past two. Uh, very charitable of you. Um, yes, um, Sam Bird chasing uh, away behind uh, Nick Tandy uh, at the front of that LMP2 battle. Uh, Panciatici, yeah, has managed to jump uh, Pipo Girani in uh, the number 28 uh, G-Drive racing. He's done that move and AF Corsa leading the way in GTE Pro and uh, Jamaria Bruni is leading but he's got a brace of Porsches behind him so James Collado's lost a couple of positions and the the Aston Martin number 95, started by Marco Sorensen, has lost ground as uh, Fred Machiavicki and Michael Christensen go into second and third places in GTE Pro. Yeah, those Ferraris looking very, very stable through the qualifying process. They, they, were, they were really look sharp out there where kind of you could see, for example, the Astons and the Porsches moving around in the body, in the direction changes and having, you know, little, little moments as the car changed direction. The Ferraris looking absolutely rock solid. And here we see the start again then. Well, very, very clear for the Porsches out front. But yeah, the Audis were a little bit laggardly, it should be said. I mentioned earlier the Rebellion Racing, only one of their cars is going around, and the number 13 car has yet to complete a lap, so their problem struck very early on. And then through the early sequence around the opening lap, very tidy indeed. Good to see the Gibson getting stuck right in with Johnny Kane, and uh, pushed very wide was the Abu Dhabi Proton Porsche out over the curbs and beyond but uh, rejoined and uh, that was only a replay we were just being shown but uh, you can see why a position or two were lost there but then regained very quickly indeed by the Abu Dhabi Proton Porsche Absolutely and no love lost between the um, Aston Martin teammates there in, in the GTE battle there was uh, absolutely no formation flying to be done uh, as, as the Porsches led um, at, at the front of the contest down into turn three and the driver of the Abu Dhabi Proton Porsche none other than Earl Bamba Le Mans winner of course for the, the prototype Porsche team but he's really getting stuck in of course he does drive the 911s from time to time in the States as well so he knows, knows them well but uh, having had that early push wide he's uh, definitely getting a move on absolutely a product of their GT programme um, competing in the Tudor United Sports Car Championship uh, in the GTE car but then yes uh, drafted up into the LMP1 programme uh, for that Le Mans effort uh, and uh, a fine job he did too yeah, making a, a very big move on, and he is now leading leading the class. And uh, Aston Martin's gosh, it doesn't matter whenever you look at the screen. Oh, actual contact between ninety eight and ninety seven there. That ninety nine. That was strange for me because it, he was already the the, the night. I think it was the ninety eight. Yeah. Was was already ahead of him before he appeared to just turn clean into the side of him. That that's. I'd like to actually have a look at that again. I, I hope we do get a chance to look at that again because that that looked. Uh, almost like slightly 
that looks slightly bizarre. I'm not quite sure why. I'm not quite sure why he took it upon himself to turn clean into the rear quarter panel of, of his teammate. But yeah, we did talk about it being a six-hour race, and that was a sort of more like a five-lap sprint sort of manoeuvre. Now already we're deep into the heart of the first round of lapping, if you will, and the Porsches picking their way through past their their GTE Am brethren. Pat Long's just been overtaken. Pat Long right at the sharp end in GTE Am with uh, Earl Bamber not so far behind but uh, you've got to pick your line carefully as we talked earlier Alex about not always having clear line of sight at the Nürburgring and it's being proved now but the Porsche is very positive and the Audis as they go down into turn one really struggling to get through that GT EM battle and they've lost a lot of ground and these guys are going to have to be really really patient today we can see uh, them, them threading that. I mean, this is the worst phase of the race because all of the GT traffic you happen to come across is all having its own little scrap, and they're all oh, as uh, Aston. That's Earl Bamba being spun around. So the the traffic, he's he's had a little too much fun at the start of the race. He regained ground after that first lap being pushed over the curb, and he's lost about five places getting pushed wide indeed. So for Earl, of course, at Le Mans, he was racing in the top class in the. LMP once he could pick off cars at will. Now he was trying to defend his position, the GTE Am class, but he's lost a lot of ground with that spin. Yeah, absolutely. That uh, I hope he's been testing that um, a little bit. Uh, that uh, that Porsche GTE because it must feel slower than a slow thing and floppier than a floppy thing um, <laughs> out there because it, it, a much much floatier uh, machine, of course, than the uh, than the 918 hybrid. Well, the Audis have managed to pick their way through traffic. Uh, which is a good thing, but they've definitely lost ground. At the end of last lap, there were three. Loic Duval was 3.4 seconds down on Porsche's race leader, Neil Yarny. This time, it's definitely going to go out, unless the Porsches ahead of them suddenly catch traffic. But they're up among the GTE Pro runners now and picking them off at will. Going through the dip and up to the NGK chicane. Luckily for the, the works, Audi is not too much in their way. In fact, the GTE Pro leader... Jimmy Bruni trying to keep out of the way and doing so giving just enough space for the second of the uh, Audis to come through so Marcel Fest has now got clean line of sight as he goes down the start finish straight now they've got through two laps of turmoil and they can go back to racing again I think the big story right now is the both Toyotas are kind of being dropped this this Porsche Audi front battle it, it is kind of yeah the, the Porsches are eking out a gap but through the traffic it's you know the differences are limited Toyota falling away right now some nine seconds uh, behind the leader is uh, Kazuki Nakajima in that number one 12 minutes into the race that means it's time time for Paul Trusswell to tell us all about the penalties that have been given out so far Paul tell us about uh, them well, well yes uh, Bruce a, a drive-through penalty has been given to Fred Makovici at the wheel of the number 92 Manti Porsche uh, jumping the start um, and there was also a report, and I don't know, I don't think he's actually taken that uh, drive-through penalty yet, as he has, in fact, because he's dropped to the very back of the field. Uh, I say the very back of the field, unfortunately, as you mentioned very briefly, uh, Alex Imperatori with the rebellion um, didn't even get it off the line, as far as I can make out. Didn't uh, complete, not, never mind completing the first lap, he didn't uh, even... Um, complete the first sector at the end um, going through the first time so Imperatori not completing a lap Fred Makovici having taken his drive through penalty has dropped to the back of the field in the Manti Porsche uh, number 92. Uh, I also had a report through Bruce that the uh, Aston Martin number 98 which was uh, another of the Astons not neither of the two that were involved in that little schmozzle that you were describing uh, at the first turn uh, but number 98 is possibly losing liquid from the rear left and I'm not sure 
sure if your pictures will uh, be able to show you that close enough, but uh, we've had a report, as I say, that the number eight, 98 Aston possibly losing liquid from the rear left corner. OK, we haven't seen that, but what we have been watching in the past 20 seconds or so has been a great little battle. We, we said earlier that Nelson Panciatici in the Signatech Alpine was starting to take chunks out of the G-Drive racing. Ligier has got past one. Sadly for him, he's gone back behind that again, and now Oliver Webb in the 43 Saad Moran. Morgan is right on his tail, so we didn't see a move that cost Panciatici the position, but uh, the battle order has changed, Alex. Yeah, Panciatici went screaming. You could see when they, when they replayed the, the start process, Panciatici went screaming around the outside in turn one and took that position off, off Pipo Durrani. But, um, yeah, then uh, yeah, Pipo put a lovely move on him back uh, a couple of laps in on uh, down into turn one up the inside uh, didn't fight him too hard did Nelson Panciatici now under a little bit of pressure from Oliver Webb uh, but yes both G-Drive racing Ligier's now run two and three uh, behind the, the KCMG of Nick Tandy who leads uh, that class one thing I wanted to check on was the gap between the Neil Yarny leading the race uh, for Porsche and Loic Duval who's coming third in the better place to the Audis and it was 3.4 seconds we've got a slow moving Ferrari just trying to identify which one is that our GTE Pro class leader pulling to the side of the circuit it is Jamaria Bruni in the 51 Ferrari just, I'll just finish the point I was making uh, the gap between first and third went, was 3.4 it doubled as near as in traffic 6.5 seconds but uh, for the AF Corsa team that's not their concern their concern is the fact that uh, J- Jimmy Bruni doesn't look as though he's going to get back to the pits that car is rolling to a halt, Alex. How frustrating. We're a quarter of an hour in, so no wonder Amato Ferrari has got a long face. Lights flashing, but not much else working in the car. We can see Jimmy Bruni's trying to work away. Press any, any button. Doesn't that's matter. A, yeah, that's a turn it on and turn it off. Um, IT department style gig, I suspect. Uh, it's a try anything. Now, he is... No, that is, that's a replay. He's not still rolling out there. And... Um, that looks reasonably terminal, unfortunately, doesn't it? Parked there, down. He's, he's as far away from home as you can possibly be, and it's all uphill. Yeah, he's at the very bottom of the circuit. He's down at um, the, the very sharp corner at the bottom, the Dunlop Carer. And um, he was leading the class. The now, now the GTE Pro class is led by his teammate, James Collado, who's got a couple of uh, Porsches right on his tail. But, of course, Machiavicki has got the, the punishment coming for the jump start leading the race still Neil Yarny he's four seconds clear now of Timo Bernhardt with every lap he pulls further clear and uh, still again we're having a quick look someone slowed almost completely coming in behind that was one of the Toyotas I don't know this is a full course yellow full course yellow yes so he just caught that so he too had a problem and then just as uh, we saw it slowing the full course yellow came up on the screen and uh, Jimmy Bruni still down at the far point of the circuit, the Dunlop Carer. The car is stationary, lights flashing on and off as he desperately tries to get it going. But full course yellow. And at the time of that, Porsche were leading by four seconds from, sorry, that was Yanni, four seconds ahead of Timo Bernhardt, who in turn was three and a bit seconds clear of uh, Loic Duval. So for Audi, a chance to close in. And this is not a scenario where you will see those, those gaps diminish. Uh, they might shift a little bit because of the way the traffic is working out. But what happens now is all of the cars are, are limited to a, uh, a certain speed. 
Um, and then, uh, and so you're not going to see like a safety car situation. Sorry, I think it's, quite, I think it's right. still, I think it's still 60 clicks. Um, 80. That, it's, it, sorry, I'm being, I'm being told it's 80 by Paul Trussell. Thank you very much. I should, we have a limit. We have a limiter, so I don't have to know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, it's, um, it's the third button up on the left, Alex. Yeah, exactly. Just, just push the big red one and go flat no, out. Th- those are the Christmas lights. <laughs> but actually, it just shows as they're running around at. Uh, identical speeds just how close the battle is for fourth place in LMP2 because almost nose to tail we've got Nelson Pantsutici in the Senior Tech Alpine we've got Oliver Webb right behind in the team Saad Moran Morgan and Stracker Racing Johnny Kane right under his tail Ferrari Pitts we've seen them saying prayers that that car will get going again but um, the erstwhile class leader number 51 led away from class pole by Gian Maria Bruni doing a great job at the front and then nothing it's, it's most bizarre and clearly not mechanical um, because you know, if he if he had some kind of drivetrain issue, then he wouldn't be bothering to try and control out, delete it like that. Um, no blue smoke, no steam, so not not cooling or you know structurally engine related. You've got to think that it's something uh, electronic that's gone that has befallen that that Ferrari. Here's the start process again, and I think we can see Nelson Panciatici. Oh, he managed to get up the inside, sorry, of uh, of Pipo Durrani down down into turn one. And here was that formation flying um, that we spoke about in the uh, LMP1 pack as the Astons jeweled behind. Uh, a little bit of paint swapped uh, a couple of laps later between those two. It was. And in fact, I thought it was Earl Bamber who'd been pushed wide on the opening lap. And looking at a replay of the replay, it was Pat Long who went out wide and then was chased very hard indeed by Earl Bamber wanting to get in the mix as they got their way around Victor Scheitar's uh, AF Corsa Ferrari but uh, it was very much Porsche controlling from the front Audi tried to hang on and good news a safe uh, course vehicle has hooked itself up and has towed the 51 Ferrari out uh, away off the circuit from the bottom corner the Dunlop Carer but um, well we'll see and in the pit lane now that is the sister car that's the 71 so that was James Collado who moved into the GTE Pro is it a similar problem he's got, or they're just checking his car? I, I would think thought, so. I would have thought that that is well, massively, massively early. So I would have thought that well, it could be strategic based yeah. on based on the full course yellow, um, or maybe a bit of both. It could be they wanted to check something, and they've so they've changed their strategy to pit under the full course yellow, and therefore he, he has come in now. But I didn't see any tyres, for example, going on it. They presumably put fuel in. Yeah, I think for the for the GT cars, there is a strategic uh, point because for the GT cars, one uh, of the stints can afford to be a little bit less than the other stints. They even run a little bit longer than the P1s. What, during the full course caution, of course, uh, and this is the key difference between a full course caution and a safety car, uh, the pit lane remains open throughout. Um, so you can come into the pits whenever you want. You can come out of the pits uh, whenever you want. You don't have to lose time. Uh, firstly, they don't close the pits as they do when the safety car comes out. Out, but neither do they close the pit lane exit um, so uh, it can be a strategic advantage to make your stop now uh, particularly as you were suggesting Alex if you're carrying a small problem that you want to just have a quick look at because the time spent looking at it will be far less effectively uh, during the full course caution than it would um, in full racing conditions apropos of which we're back to green flag racing now and the uh, green flag wave so we are now back into full race mode two laps lost under the full course yellow and that equates to around a about um, how many minutes was it 13 about seven minutes okay something I thought I thought I might point out 
Neil Yarny gained about 10 seconds under that full course yellow period because Timo Bernhardt, Loic Duval and Marcel Fessler, second, third and fourth, were, were stuck behind one of the extreme speed sport ligiers and seemed to just lose a load of ground. So, in fact, when they came over the start-finish line, it's readjusted again, So, it's, but it's 8.4 seconds. But he still gained about four seconds. It's the sort of shuffling that I kind of talked about. For example, if you, you know, most of the pro drivers out there will, you know, w- within, the, within the bounds of safety, of course... When a full course yellow comes out, you're gonna you're gonna slow down, but you're not gonna you know full braking effort. You're gonna lift off, you know, and and allow the, and allow the car to slow down, making progress as far as possible. You're gonna steal a bit, basically. Um, but if you get stuck, for example, behind an amateur driver who is you know has been read the riot act by the team and the pros that are sharing with him, and has been told no penalties today, please, sir. He is going to be absolutely bang on the button and can actually cost you quite a lot of time because, of course, it's a yellow flag situation, so you can't overtake him. Uh, but he's being very, very cautious uh, through, that, through that yellow flag process. And now we, we, the Audis with Lloyd Duval in third place really fancy having a go at Timo Bernhardt. They're picking past uh, some LMP2 runs. They've just gone past Oliver Webb in the, in the Morgan. And as they work their way up to the, oh, just losing out, so they go into the chicane, unfortunately, was the number eight Audi. So Lloyd Duval... Lost a bit of ground relative to Timo Bernhardt. And then he's got Johnny Kane right where he wanted to go himself as they go through the final corner, Coca-Cola curve. And then as they go down the start, finish straight. Now it's clear track, but certainly Loic Duval swings and roundabouts. But Timo Bernhardt gained in second position. Loic Duval in third, lost out. A little bit of weaving as we go down into turn one. Just a, uh, a little bit of a, a wiggle there for, uh, for Loic Duval. Maybe they're struggling to get those tyres um, up to the temperature they need them at um, after that uh, after that process you might think weaving in a straight line looks like a horrible waste of distance and waste of time but if you then proceed to, to gain three tenths in the next corner with the correct amount of tire temperature and lose one tenth weaving in a straight line then then you've then you've made a net gain that's why they do it yeah and in fact it allowed Marcel Fessler his teammate to close in notably behind him so really second third and fourth Timo Bernhard in the Porsche and then Loic Duval and Marcel Fessler in the eight and seven Audis very close indeed but Neil Yarny 9.8 seconds clear now so he gained a little bit of time in that shuffling sequence of the full course yellow. He's gaining more on the track. And his fastest lap so far is in the 1 minute 37s, 1 minute 37.9. No one else below 1 minute 38.6. So he's got the speed there. Johnny Kane piloting the uh, new Stracker Gibson is, is the next to hassle Nelson Panciatici. Uh, that would be for fourth place in the LMP2 class. As the Audi of Luke Duval has closed right up uh, on the rear fender of... Um, Timo Bernhard at the front of the field and now let's see what that Audi has got uh, for Timo Bernhard as we go down to the final sector of the racetrack. Yeah well seemed to have more momentum as they went up to the chicane but Timo knew what he was doing he held his car just where he needed to they were both slightly wide in that fast left hander in the, in the in the compression when you come out of uh, the ITT curve and go into the dip and turn 13 I think it is you're in the dip and uh, certainly the advantage the momentum seems to be looked too far but there just wasn't enough space he wasn't prepared to take the risk so still we have Timo Bernhard second for Porsche still uh, Loic Duval third for Audi and fourth for Audi is Marcel Fessler let's just touch the gap back to the best of the Toyotas in fifth place Kazuki Nakajima 
He's leading his teammate, uh, Mike Conway, by 6.6 seconds, but he's about 25 seconds down on the race leader. Yeah, solid two seconds per lap. Uh, Best time to best time, of course, set without traffic at the start of the race. But that's the kind of deficit they're working with right now. Uh, And they just... They just, plain and simple, don't have the pace uh, to, to be at the, at the front of this motor race. Um, and, uh, but, but Audi definitely coming back at Porsche in, in this phase, aren't they? We'll see how that plays out um, through the first round of pit stops and, and who's got what in terms of fuel. Uh, but we've got a race on our hands. Yeah, and we're nearly nearly halfway through what we expect to be the first stint of 30-31 laps. We'll come to Paul on that in a, in a second. But, of course, we've had those two laps behind the full course yellow. Will that gain them an extra lap? We will see. But at the moment, certainly the Audi's looking very lively as they close up on Timo Bernhardt. Bernhardt being slightly obstructed by the Ligier ahead of him, which is one of the G-Drive racing cars, and looking to take the inside line as... Uh, Bernhardt ran really rather wide there, Alex. Yeah, this is and this is where the Audi uh, looked really, really, really quick through this section of the racetrack. There is so much traffic out there as he looks down the inside, but there's nothing, nothing doing uh, into into that quicker iteration of the uh, NGK chicane. Yeah, you could certainly. I don't know if it was a mistake by Timo Bernhardt, but he just didn't seem to have any grip at all and just running wide. And now, right under his tail as they go across the start finish line, maybe two car lengths back is Lloyd Duval. You get. Well, we've seen so far this season, out of a tight corner, the Porsche really has no, no rivals. And that was enough of a gap for the Audis to be dropped. But they're right in the thick of the traffic, but luckily not being obstructed. They can get past the SMP racing uh, Ferrari and chase after Timo Bernhardt, who in turn has a couple of cars ahead of him from the GT class. But he dives down the inside into turn three, which is the, third, is the tight left, uh, followed by the even tighter right, which is turn four, brings you out of the Mercedes arena, and he's still got a little bit of air between his Porsche and the two chasers, the uh, Loic Duval and Marcel Fessler Audis. They'll have to try again, but at the bottom part of the circuit, and certainly once they started going through the Michael Schumacher S's, they have the advantage. Absolutely. Through those traction zones uh, and the acceleration zones in the first in the first sector, the Porsche is just peerless, isn't it? But it's actually the, the Bilstein curve uh, where it's it's a little bit quicker, a little bit higher downforce, and that kind of that kind of medium speed corner into the longer straight uh, and down into that down into that quick NGK chicane uh, is where the Audi is able to to be quicker through the preceding corner and then take that speed uh, all the way down the straight as the two Audis battle. They don't want to be doing that if they want to get up to the rear bumper of Tino, Timo Bernhardt in this first phase of the race. No, the past couple of laps, Marcel Fassler in fourth place, the number seven Audi, has been showing all sorts of hint that he'd like to put the nose of his car ahead of his teammates. So this is working to the advantage of Timo Bernhardt, who's actually eked out about a a one-second advantage as they go through the NGK chicane, the sort of smoother version of the NGK chicane. And, of course, coming through the final corner of the Coca-Cola curve, he'd be putting the power down from that uh, Porsche number 17 and extending his advantage to a couple of laps of attack from the Audi. And the advantage has swung the way of the number 17 Porsche in second place. He's put an Aston Martin between himself and the chasing Audis. But Lloyd Duval having to really be on his mettle because Marcel Fessler in the 7 Audi really fancies going up into third place. I can imagine there's some messages from the pit saying, guys... (laughs) Work out who's quicker, but um, don't take each other off. Well, in some way, you can do that a little bit with the body language of the car as well, uh, and and almost you know show the team. Uh, just just to let you know, guys, uh, I'm not going to whinge over the radio because I, I don't do that. But I am faster than him, so if if you wouldn't mind, uh, <laughs> and and it's something you know you, you, he's just dem- he's just demonstrating he's just demonstrating his pace. They need to work together though in, in this phase of the race because uh, the Porsches are their real threat right now, and then they can work out who's quicker between themselves later on. 
Um, so, what are we? Uh, well, we were nearly half an hour into the race, and let's just uh, we'll, we'll touch it on the half half hour point. But Neil Yarny's leading in the number eighteen Porsche by fifteen seconds. Timo Bernhardt uh, has been challenged by the Audis, but he's holding off Lloyd Duval and Marcel Fessler. Then there's a gap of 14 seconds behind Fessler to the better of the two Toyotas. Kazuki Nakajima ahead of Mike Conway. He's sitting on a, an advantage of about five seconds over his British teammate. And then the last of the cars in the uh, LMP1 class at the top end of the field is Pierre Kaffer. So further problems for the Rebellion racing team. And that means in KCMG's case, their car that leads LMP2 with Nick Tandy on board, Le Mans winner Nick Tandy, is up to eighth place overall ahead of Sandbird's G-Drive Racing, Ligier and the sister car of Lewis Pipo Dirani. Down in uh, GTE Pro, it's Michael Christensen leading the way now for Porsche. Of course, we had the problem for the 51 Bruni Ferrari pulling to the side of the circuit. The 71 James Collado version made that pits visit to the pits. That's what's dropped it down. So it's Christensen ahead of Marco Sorensen. So it's uh, Porsche ahead of Aston Martin, but it's all Porsche at the very front end of the race. It really was interesting, that pit stop for, for James Collada. If that was strategic, it's bold, to be honest. It, 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 that, it, that kind of strategic call relies on the whole of the rest of the race running green. Uh, and they're and they're they're trying to they're trying to if it, if it is purely strategic, I, I suspect as we suggested, um, it, it will be that they wanted to check something out, and we thought might as well do that uh, and and call it a, a strategic change, but forced by a potential a mechanical issue. The reason why uh, it relies on the whole of the rest of the race running green because they've effectively at some point got a slightly shorter stint, and they decided to put that right at the beginning. Uh, uh, in the first stint of the race, which means they have to do clean and green stints for the rest of the race, or or, or change strategy again. Yep, they've they've played their, played their joker early on, I suppose we could say. But uh, we'll see as the race unfolds. Five and a half hours remaining. Whether that's the master stroke or not, what I can tell you though is uh, running fastest every lap at the moment is uh, Neil Yarny. He's now. 18.7 seconds clear. He, his last lap was a one-minute 39.0, and the chasing trio were doing high one-minute 41s, low-minute 42s. So the advantage is going out and out. The Swiss driver didn't, wasn't one of the nominated qualifying drivers in the pole starting car. That was Romain Dumas and Mark Lee, but certainly they put it into his hands, and he's done everything right so uh, far. Definitely, in, in LMP2 terms, the fastest driver through the practice and qualifying process has to start the car, so there must have been... Uh, a quirky rapid lap somewhere in practice that's meant that Neil Yarny is is starting that car. I'm not sure. I'm pretty sure actually that it's the same in LMP1. So the quickest driver, that or the driver no. with the quickest lap through the through the practice process is the one no. who has to start. Paul, no, not in P1, only in P2. Um, and but you are right to highlight the fact in P2 because the other restriction in P2 is that the. Uh, lower graded driver you have to have a, uh, a silver or bronze driver in p2 he has to participate in the qualifying uh, so you can't just put your two uh, fast drivers into the car in the qualifying you have to have one of the two uh, lower graded drivers in p2 participate in the qualifying and then the faster one has to take the start whereas in p1 uh, you can have who you want uh, do the qualifying and who you want do the start as well and in fact some of the teams there had uh, driver one do the qualifying driver two do the other part of the qualifying then driver three took the start um so it's very democratic in some of the areas of uh, of the p1 area nice to give everyone a go isn't it exactly uh, exactly right, yeah. <laughs> but yeah okay that that clears that up thank you very yeah, much 
the other thing just keep an eye on uh, and this is more if you get some shots on your tv screens of gt cars because uh, race director eduardo freitas is very keen on uh, drivers sticking to track limits and uh, his favorite during free practice and qualifying was turn four the last right hander that brings them uh, out of the mercedes arena and back out onto uh, the old part of the new Nürburgring um, and uh, they, we've had quite a few warnings coming up for track limits predominantly for GT cars uh, although notably in the uh, P2 class uh, we've also had a warning for the number 43 Morgan the uh, Team Saad Moran car um, but a lot of warnings now coming up for um, drivers not respecting the track limits at, uh, at turn four. Yeah there is a bit of grass creek out there so you can't go wide too early but you can open the steering wheel and give yourself a little bit more run road to play with um out of there and, and absolutely right absolutely right to highlight it. the other place is uh the the final chicane of the lap the ngk chicane where people have been all four wheels off um all weekend we talked before the start of the race alex about how maybe we'd have preferred the tighter version of the chicane just had an example there about uh, with it being a smoother chicane less challenging uh that uh, the, the the car that's leading the little group that it's in has more of an advantage and timo bernhardt was able to repel Loic duval who's getting closer and closer it was under half a second behind in this battle for second place and he has marcel fessler about half a second behind him but overall now they're t- nearly 24 seconds down on neil yani who's leading the race for porsche so it's porsche one and two but a big gap between their two cars and certainly you could you could say that if Timo Bernhard is delaying those Audis behind him. He's, he's doing a very good job for the Porsche team. Excellent job of it. I, I, I assume that that's not the plan and that he is, he is pedalling that car. Maybe to a, to a plan, however, to a fuel plan. Uh, but um, I assume he's pedalling that car as fast as it goes. Yeah, you lose in that final chicane, you lose several things in terms of passing traffic. I mean, it is a bit fiddly. But where can LMPs pass GT traffic? On the brakes, obviously. Also, under acceleration. So you you lose a big braking zone, a big acceleration zone. And also, it's so quick then, with the, with the quicker chicane setup, that you don't have time to get down the inside into the last corner where otherwise you would, because the GT car you're trying to pass is arriving even quicker. Uh, there must be a, a reason why they've decided to use that. I suspect they just think the track flows better that way or, or, or didn't think that endurance cars would like that kind of fiddly track layout. But uh, it, does take, it does take options away uh, from the guys out there. Yes, I, I honestly think the drivers wouldn't necessarily want to try that every lap there. But several times a race, it might be the expedient place to make a move. If you're being held up by someone, you just got to get past, put in between you and uh, the driver chasing you but the option's not there Audi's still really close together still giving chase to Timo Bernhardt and again Marcel Fassler having a look up the inside this time into turn one doesn't make the move Lloyd Duval stays in third Paul yeah, it's something of a concern to me, actually, the pace of that uh, second-place Porsche, Timo Bernhardt, because uh, he has, uh, as you, you've mentioned, uh, lost quite a lot of ground. I mean, it's 26 seconds now, the gap uh, between first and second, um, and that's in the space of 20 laps. So it's losing more than half a second, getting on for a second per lap, uh, the second Porsche. So, uh, A, you've got to ask, is it deliberate? And you've suggested it isn't, and I'd kind of like to think, I'd like to to go along with you on that um so if it's not deliberate then there must be a reason why that porsche isn't performing as well um and i just wonder whether perhaps the heat because the uh, the ambient temperature out there is over 29 degrees celsius um and i just wonder whether the batteries because porsche batteries uh, are rumored to be less efficient when it gets hot but i just wonder if the airflow into the car and the batteries on that number 
17 car in, in second place uh, are just not quite delivering as much power as the number 18 because there's no other reason to my way of thinking why that gap should have built up so much um, as I say other than it being a little bit naughty team tactics by Porsche to try and bel- delay the Audis uh, there's, no, there's nothing obvious I think if, if the airflow was being interrupted that badly there would be something obvious in the, in the, in the front of the car in the duct but yeah, I hear, I hear what you say on that. I, uh, it smacks very much of, okay, Timo, um, you're in this phase of the race, you are going to save fuel uh, and keep the Audis behind you. And so it's, so it's a double play. They've got, the, they've got the hair running out front and then they've got the second Porsche behind on a fuel, potentially a fuel-saving strategy or going, trying to go a little bit longer while also holding the Audi up, which works as a team because it allows... Uh, you know the number the number uh, eighteen to to head off at, uh, head off at the front. Yeah, and the, the Audis haven't had clear air for a very long time. They've been stuck behind the tail of Timo Timo Bernhardt's uh, uh, number eighteen number seventeen Porsche. Twenty yeah twenty five point six seconds the gap between first and second. So it's looking very good indeed for the eighteen Porsche. And of course, nineteen Porsche isn't here. Then he took. Had a little play at Le Mans, very successful little play, and obviously took victory. We saw Nico Hulkenberg wandering around the garage, garages before the start of the race, but his two teammates from Le Mans, of course, competing here. Nick Tandy leading LMP2 class, now in eighth place overall for KCMG, and Earl Bamber in the thick of the GTE AM battle for Proton Abu Dhabi racing. But uh, at the moment, all eyes on Neil Yani, who's extending his advantage, lapping at will. He's done a series of laps in the 1 minute 39. a bit slower, 1 minute 40.6 last time around. That'll be traffic and traffic alone. But one point about Timo Bernhardt, um, running the pace he is with the Audis behind him. Marcel Fester's looking more and more interested in trying to take third place. You always feel that there could be potential for a little bit of clattering, but not as much as there is in this battle for fourth place in LMP2. Nelson Panciatici and Johnny Kane have been going at it hammer and tongs the last half dozen laps. We've seen a few little feints up the inside from uh, the Ulsterman, but as yet no move to put the Stracker Gibson ahead of the Senior Tech Alpine. Yeah, he's been repelling the attentions of, of our Johnny for, for a little while now, hasn't he? Um, Nelson Panciatici. Um, still a high, for, high downforce car, that Gibson, hard to overtake in uh, because straight line speed helps you with, with overtaking, gets you into the position okay. to do that lunge. Now, <laughs> we talked about might there possibly be a problem with the airflow into the front of the 17 Porsche. Very kindly, the TV director just shown a new nose uh, front end for a 17 in the garage. Maybe, he, maybe he's guessing. We can't see anything on the images. Of course, this circuit, they're running the low downforce nose, sorry, the high downforce nose, which they wouldn't have had at Le Mans. Maybe it's a slightly different high downforce nose to the one on, Yarn, on Yarny's car, the number 18 Porsche. We can see no obvious damage, so keep an eye. We'll let you know what happens when it comes to pit stop time, but the new nose section is sitting in the Porsche garage. Yeah, you could have called that perfectly, Paul, because I've not seen any obvious contact and there's no obvious damage to the front, so you'd only think that that would be a malfunction of some sort, could be cooling. Um, or, or electronic or, or who knows in the front uh, of that Porsche as we see the Stracker now having a, a n- even more concerted go uh, at the rear of the Alpine but Johnny's a, Johnny's a wise old fox and he knows that uh, there is absolutely no point in, uh, in, in painting any part of that, uh, of that new Gibson um, Signatech Alpine Blue at the, at this, in, this fa- in this phase of the race uh, they've still got amateurs to get through those cars and um, and uh, plenty, plenty of racing to be done yet. I think and I think it's interesting, uh, Alex, again, interested in your views with uh, the whole Stracker operation this year because their focus is very much on what they're going to do next year and yet they're drilling the team into race 
uh, readiness somehow just by preparing themselves through the remainder of this uh, 2015 season in the LMP2 car just to get the team up and ready to race. It's a good strategy, I think. Yeah, you've got to keep going. You know, the, the, if you turn up absolutely cold, especially when you've got a new motor car, uh, uh, and you know, all of the foibles that go along with uh, the preparation and the servicing during the race and etc 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 you have to keep on you know going going through the drill uh, and you can't as we've said more than once today already uh, you can't simulate racing uh, and so the only way to learn how to race is to go and race uh, and you know we, the the team need to be on top of the new car in time for next year and there's only one real way that they can achieve that which is by racing in the back section of this year albeit you know not in the hunt for a championship of any kind but if they if they need the thing you know if they need to be sharp with the thing then then that's the way to achieve it it's it's teamwork isn't it it's getting the data that they need and just getting the team to work together and to gel together as a whole i think that's as i say i think it's good uh, good work from uh, stracker and uh, so it'll be interesting to see how much of the data they collect this year they'll be able to use next year absolutely i mean the mechanics the engineers they get and you know even the drivers to a degree they get used to the specifics of working with one machine i know when i've developed kind of uh, various prototype cars the speed of for example mechanical changes from the beginning of when the car is first designed and conceived to when you eventually come to race the car just by just sheerly uh, you know the, the mechanics getting to know the machine and and you know the foibles of it and i can just put my spanner down here while i lift yeah. this etc etc there's a massive amount to be gained in just working with the machinery over time uh, and that's and, what they know and stupid things like you know looking forward to which hotel you're going to go in because you've been to it before uh, you know that, that kind of thing it all helps doesn't it Sure, sure. A, a team is, uh, you know, a team is a group, a group of people, and, and humans learn over time that you know they're not they're not you know bolt turning machines. They they learn over time. They improve at things. Naturally, you just get better the the, the more you the more you work with the car, uh, and that's why they're here, pounding around, doing laps, and bothering Nelson Panciatici. Yeah, very much so. Um, just a quick note, um, I, I um, have noticed that uh, Jimmy Bruni is uh, back into the race now in the number 51 Ferrari. He managed to get it going again, drove it back to the pits, had a 10-minute pit stop. He's lost uh, about five, in fact, more than that, seven laps uh, on the rest of the field. But uh, Jimmy Bruni in the number 51 AF Corsa Ferrari uh, back in the race following that off at the uh, uh, Dunlop Cur- Curve uh, Turn 8 uh, earlier in the race that caused the full course yellow period. Uh, and now we are getting into uh, the proper uh, pit stop interval now because uh, we've got both a Porsche and an Audi coming into the pits. It's the number 17 Porsche that's leading that little group. That's Timo Bernhardt and he's coming ahead of Loic Duval, sorry not Loic Duval, he's coming ahead of Marcel Fessler. The 17 Porsche and the 7 Audi, they came out of second and fourth position. So Neil Yarny's still leading the race for Porsche, Loic Duval in the 8 Audi up into second place. The Toyota's still running 5th and 6th and then Nakajima ahead of his teammate by about 15 seconds. So Mike Conway running around in sixth. Good to report that uh, Rebellion Racing, number 12, we had both their cars, 13 not really getting off the starting grid, and number 12 has made a pit stop, has risen up to 16th place as he picks his way back towards the LMP2 runners. But the pit stops look looking very tidy for 17 and 7. Yeah, driver changes in both of those machines. Yeah. Is Mark Webber hopping into the 17. 
Re- he's reasonably hot um, uh, over in, uh, you know, he's no, not blistering, but it, it, it's warm enough. And, uh, and why not um, change, change your man uh, over for a fresh one if you possibly can? I'm going to be interesting to see what Luke Duval can do now uh, with a little bit of clear air in front of him, give us a bit more of a feeling for the pace of the Audi because even uh, Marcel behind, behind the, uh, the number 17 Porsche would have been getting a little bit of an aero effect uh, off that car ahead of him. So we're going to get a proper read now on, uh, on what that... Uh, Audi Sport R18 can do in uh, in clear air. Yeah, well, Are you we... sure there was a driver change in the Audi, Alex? Because no, because I don't. I was just waiting to. to I yeah. think we saw. Sorry, I think we saw the Porsche uh, on yes. two different monitors. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, because the Audi's come out ahead by um, a few about about ten car lengths. So we think not. Yes, and it was a ten-second shorter pit stop. Well, be precise, nine seconds shorter pit stop for the Audi. Uh, so I don't know. I don't believe they changed tires on the Audi. They definitely did change tires, and as Alex said, driver. So Mark Webber is at the wheel of the number seventeen Porsche, but the number seven Audi still in the hands of Marcel Fessler, uh, and an eleven-second pit stop. Uh, for, or sorry, 11 second shorter pit stop for the Audi uh, means that that Audi will uh, effectively, once the uh, pit stops um, ahead of him uh, unravel, should put the Audi up into second place in the race. We did see a set of tyres there being, uh, on, on, our, on our monitors here, we did see a set of tyres being poked by a Michelin engineer, looked like they had just come off a Porsche. Um, so it might suggest tyre changes for both rather than tyre changes for neither um, in that in that round of, of pit stops, which would mean single stinting for both for both cars. Then, yeah, it does mean you <laughs> well spotted. You've got to, you know you, you can't draw conclusions. You have to you know see it with your eyes. But that certainly did seem to be a stack of tyres that were being investigated. But what we can tell you is Neil Yarny still leading the way for the number eighteen Porsche crew. He's sharing with Romain Dumas and Mark Lieb and he was, he was a good part of 30 seconds clear or as close to from the battle behind him which was his the sister car the 17 Porsche and the two Audis of course uh, Loic Duval who'd been running in third is now running second has yet to make a pit stop but uh, 7 and 17 they've made theirs and the key was that, uh, that their order changed and Mark Webber was slotted into the 17 Porsche puts it down effectively into fourth place I know we've got the Toyotas in the mix but once they make their pit stops it'll go back to fourth place so Loic Duval up into second for Audi yeah uh, G- GT battle hotting up the uh, the number 72 Ferrari being passed uh, uh, at by the number 98 that's in GT Am uh, good move down the inside of turn one and uh, and ran him out of road on, on the outside here yeah. we go Fair, fairly tame. Oh, yeah, 72 tried to, Victor Scheiter tried to turn in, but uh, well, in fact, they both went wide of, and off the circuit. Tiny bit of contact, rear left corner of the Aston Martin and the front right of the Ferrari. But I suppose that's fairly trademark manoeuvre for turn one, the start of the Mercedes arena. And uh, the Aston Martin ran a little bit wide towards the edge, but it had a tighter line going in and had to do some turning. But the battle for fourth place in LMP2, it's been the TV director's delight. He's been following Nelson Panciatici and Johnny Kane and Johnny can get close but he just can't get past not for want of trying though Alex absolutely you do see that a lot um, between those two GTs you do see that a lot down into turn one because as the track drops away cars tends to start to understeer a little bit and what looked like you had it all under control in terms of a move can end up you know bashing door handles uh, with whoever you were trying to pass and it's not because you've opened the steering up and run into him it's just because the car has started to behave differently as, as you've crested the rise uh, yeah Johnny Kane cannot find 
uh, away pass. It, it is such a tricky track to pass around because uh, almost in every passing area, uh, you have to have followed the car in front through an aerodynamically critical section of the track before that. So, for example, uh, through through Bilstein out onto the back straight uh, down to that what normally is a very tight chicane at the end of the lap, you have to have followed him successfully through Bilstein down into turn one you have to have followed him through the Coca-Cola curve and you tend to lose grip uh, when, when you follow a car that closely behind so you really got to be a fair amount quicker to get by and on top of which the LMP1 the fastest LMP1 runners are half a dozen seconds a lap faster so you might have spent a while knitting together stringing together three good corners one of the G-Drive Ligiers into the pit lane it's the leading uh, one it's the number 26 they're both in the pit both. lane Sorry, uh, yeah, both uh, the G-Drive Ligiers in the pits and uh, both of them doing fuel-only stops, as far as I can work out from here. Uh, Sam Bird staying at the wheel of the number 26 Ligier and Pippo Durrani staying behind the wheel of the 28. And uh, several um, warnings now being given for track limits, mainly uh, at Turn 4, the right-hander leading uh, out of the Mercedes Arena. Uh, And indeed, we've now also had a black and white driver warning flag, which is kind of the last uh, stage. You get a screen warning, first of all, then you get a black and white flag warning, and then you're going to get a penalty. Uh, But there's black and white flags being prepared for number 99, uh, and also now for number 88. So the number 99, Aston Martin, uh, which is currently in the hands of Stanaway. Uh, Richie Stanaway, yep, absolutely. Uh, and also for the number 88 Porsche, which uh, is Earl Bamber, he should know better. But uh, the GT cars do tend to struggle a little bit more with track limits than the prototypes do. But those two, so far, have been given black and white flags, which is going to be last warning before they start getting penalised. And someone else who's been given something is uh, car 17. We have uh, the new nose uh, being put on that. So Yeah, that was the, that was the pit stop deficit that then put them behind... Uh, that then put them behind the Audi uh, of Fassler would, would, was that nose change. They did do it both, tire, both cars in for, um, in for fuel and tyres, but the nose change uh, for that Porsche, um, now piloted by Mark Webber, um, yes, co- cost, him, cost him that time and that position, that nine seconds. And as you were being uh, just talking about that, Alex, we had a, 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 some action. It looks like the number 18, the race-leading Porsche, might need a new nose, got very close to one of the Ferraris. Uh, down at the Dunlop Carer, didn't have contact, but uh, you know we, we couldn't see any damage to the nose on the 17 before. We don't know if it was or if it was an initial setup what? nose problem, but certainly they've decided off it comes, and so it has. Well, possible um, proof, if uh, proof be needed. Uh, Mark Webber, in his first flying lap, did a 1 minute 39.0. His second lap, a little bit slower, 1 minute 40.7. Uh, um, but both of those first two flying laps from Mark Webber uh, quicker than any of the laps done by Timo Bernhardt since the full course yellow. Um, so amongst the data I've got here is all the lap times that people have set. So uh, I can quickly look back and n- none of Timo's times uh, in the number 17 Porsche since the full course yellow were under one minute, well, sorry, one was under one minute 42 at one minute 41.7 uh, whereas Mark Weber has already done uh, two one at one minute 39, one minute, one minute 40.7 um, now, I'm saying that Mark Webber is not a better driver than Timo Bernhardt, but it's certainly indicative that possibly a small problem has been resolved by that uh, um, 
uh, that work with the Porsche that uh, you just picked up there, Alex, with a new nose. Sure. Well, they don't throw noses on them for fun because it costs time <laughs> uh, and they're expensive. <laughs> so, yeah, absolutely. Uh, that, absolutely a problem with the front nose of that, as we have. Uh, Lloyd Tuval coming into the pits. And just talking about pit stops, we've had a, a sort of sequence change in LMP2 because Oliver Webb was third in that little battle far behind the KCMG entry but he came out of the pits ahead of Johnny Kane and uh, Nelson Panciatici so uh, the order really changed down there in LMP2 but no one at the moment can touch the KCMG. At the front of the field still yet to pit a good few laps after the rest of the LMP2 field I'm sure we'll see him in imminently um, as a set of tyres as well going on uh, the number 8 Audi Uh, so it looks like tyre changes tyre changes all round up front not uh, not dissimilar from what we expected and that is a uh, successful service and he's on his way Yeah, so that's Lloyd Duval staying on board there of course uh, we had Mark Webber jumping in to take over from Timo Bernhardt in the 17 Porsche but uh, all the others of the top runners seem to be keeping their starting driver at the wheel so interesting tactic uh, for the Porsche 17 crew we'll see what uh, the number 18 crew does but uh, when they, they eventually bring in Neil Yarny leading the race by a comfortable margin uh, yep, Nick Tandy. Nick Tandy finally pits the powered by fairy dust KCMG, and uh, and that trundles uh, into into the pit lane now. Oh, it looks quick even coming into the pit lane. Frankly, great. I, I really love that livery, and we know the zero five Orica is such a slippery machine. Yeah, absolutely. It tends to be. I, I was really surprised actually by their pace this weekend. They've been really really quick normally this would be a track i would say for the ligier for the higher downforce machine um to 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 be to be dominant but they were quick at le mans uh, and they're quick here and it's it's all looking awfully like proof of concept isn't it for that new for that new orica chassis um they they, they've been uh, you know two two very very different layouts two different aero kits and uh, and out front and out front on both occasions OK, I can uh, bring a little bit more information uh, to you because, uh, as you just uh, spotted, uh, Alex, the um, two pit stops we had earlier on for the 17 and the 7 were both considerably earlier than uh, the rest of them. And basically what they were trying to do, I think, was just to stretch the margin as far as they could to keep themselves on uh, a 7 uh, stop strategy um, but apparently the number 7 Audi had a puncture which is why it came in a little bit earlier and the number 17 of course needing that uh, updated nose um, which is why it had an early pit stop so they both coincidentally came in for unscheduled pit stops on the same lap um, but a little bit earlier than they should have otherwise done uh, and as you say the uh, number 8 Audi uh, having had its first pit stop uh, a good eight minutes later than the first of the Audis. Well talking pit stops we've got the race leader Neil Yarny has brought the 18 Porsche in they've got some new tyres proffered ready to go doesn't look as though Neil's hopping out of the car so uh, there, was a, there was a driver change in fact oh, there was already. While, while, while fuel was going in yeah uh, spotted that so there, there is there is a driver change I didn't spot who it was who got in. Mark Lieb getting in I reprieved myself by looking at the correct screen so Mark Lieb taking over from Neil Yarny, those with a longer surname, with five letters. Uh, Romain Dumas have to wait their turn. So Neil Yarny, very strong opening stint. When he came in, he had a lead of just over a minute, but that was over the Nakajima Toyota that has yet to make a pit stop. Yeah, they're light on syllables, aren't they, in that car? But, but heavy, heavy on talent as they, as they, lead, as they, lead, the, as they lead the race. Um, so, yeah, tyres all round up front, drivers all round up front, apart from um, well, Nakajima's Duval, who, who yeah. stays in. And Nakajima's just come into the pits uh, for the number one Toyota. That was the last of the top six, the 
Porsche Audi Toyota syndicate, if you will, at the top of the field. And then Rebellion number 13, it had a dreadful start to the race, being wheeled back into its pit garage. So not a great weekend for the Rebellion team. Their best place entry, the sister car number 12 with Nick Heidfeld on board, is down in 15th place after making an early pit stop. We've barely seen the poor thing, have we? Um, that that rebellion having a having a really difficult weekend, um, as we Don't have we've got both uh, Toyotas now into the into the pits. Yeah, and it's it's only, it's only made one lap. Uh, that's most unfortunate for them. Hopefully, we see them back looking strong uh, in the flyaways through the end of the year. But it's but it only gets tougher now as you have to pack it all off and uh, and give it to the logistics supplier. Um, who will transport it continent to continent for the next uh, several months? And uh, any any concept of uh, you know d- developing or moving that car forward now is difficult. Immensely difficult, and it's so hard to sort of imagine that when we saw the form that Toyota was taking last year. But it's just indicative of the of the pace of progress in the World Endurance Championship. I think it's just enjoying enjoying a, a golden period at the moment, and with Porsche reaffirming its. Uh, position in the championship and its desire to stay on board I think we've got great years ahead as well now Johnny came right in the thick of the LMP2 battle Alex very much enjoying that yeah well I, 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 I mean, he's been trying when you when you watch someone try very hard at something it's always nice it's always nice to watch them succeed and Johnny Kane has finally managed to get um, that stracker uh, up the inside of Nelson Panciatici in, in turn one and uh, only surprised him a little bit um, down into there very, very late move from Johnny Kane. Yeah, Nick Heidfeld had a great view of it, sitting in behind and was rather hoping it would all be pulled off very tidily, which it was. So Johnny Kane demotes Nelson Panciatici, and that puts Johnny into, well, he dropped down into fifth place in class. He's now up to fourth place. Sorry, he dropped to sixth place in class with a pit stop sequence. He's now up to four, a fifth in class. So senior tech Alpine, so promising in the early, and the first lap of the race, been working their way backwards down the order. It was a very quick first stop, actually, for uh, Saad Morant who found their way from 6th to 4th through the pit stop phase. Only the KCMG and the two uh, G-Drive racing entries in front of that car now uh, being pedalled still by, uh, by Ollie Webb and, uh, and lapping well. Some, some second off the, the optimum pace at yeah. the front of the field. But, but he's far th- faster than both the G-Drive Ligiers at the moment by one, one and a bit seconds on that last lap alone. We'll keep an eye to see if he can keep that pace up, but he's lapping in the 1 minute 50 there in the 51s and 52s. And meanwhile, Mark Webber is, has just set the fastest lap for that car, for that Porsche, the 38.3. So uh, certainly that car seems to have uh, had its problem uh, uh, hopefully resolved for good. Um, although, uh, say, that last lap through from Mark, not quite as quick, but I suspect it might have been uh, um, one that was affected by traffic. But uh, So Mark Webber then, having gone through the pit stop cycle is uh, in third place behind Marcel Fessler who's moved up into second place. Loic Duval in the other Audi is still in fourth so it's uh, what before the pit stops Porsche Porsche Audi Audi it's now Porsche Audi Porsche Audi in the top four places with the two Toyotas in fifth and sixth still Bruce. And Rebellion not going anymore because I'm afraid we just mentioned Nick Heidfeld in number 12 uh, rebellion entry getting up to 12th place overall and he's just pulled to the side of the circuit and climbed over the barrier he's out that's down just past pit exit so before you get to the first corner Nick is behind the, the bar- barriers on the inside of the circuit and his car alas parked with its door up just by pit exit race goes on but not for rebellion racing I'm afraid yeah just trying to fit in with his teammate wasn't he unfortunately uh, that's uh, that's well well out of the race 
yeah, it, it's been, it's tough, isn't it, to go to go and do LMP1 as a privateer? It is really, really tough. Uh, giving him a little bit more performance uh, for, for this weekend, but um, you're not you're not able to use it if uh, if you can't make the thing uh, drive in circles for six hours, and that's what they need to do. In, indeed, they do. So all the more frustrating with that little performance game. Right now, we've got the Toyotas having made their pit stops. We can give you a clear answer as to the gap between the number 18 Porsche and the 7 Audi that moved up in the pit stop sequence into second place. Last time around it was 42 seconds, the gap between first and second, and uh, Neil, Mark Lieb, who's taken over from Neil Yanni, has started another lap, but uh, Marcel Fessler, who stayed on board the 7 Audi, hasn't got up to the start-finish line as yet, so we can't see if the gap's gone out or not, but uh, seemingly Mark Lieb can lap at will in the 1-minute 40s, but Neil Yanni was lapping in the 1-minute 39s in his best lap, the fastest lap of, of all in this race, 1-minute 37.955. So see as uh, Lieb gets into his stride what sort of pace he can manage. But sitting on a lead of more than 40 seconds, that's the crux. Yeah. The, uh, sorry. Go for so, it, sorry, sorry, Alex, just to um, pick up on what um, uh, Bruce was just saying. Um, again, because of the analysis I've got going here, the lap times from Lieb continue to be quicker than both all of the chasing pack, than both of the Audis and Mark Webber, even though I was saying how Mark Webber is going faster now than he was before. Uh, if you look in the average lap, lap times, uh, then Mark Lieb, even in the three laps since his pit stop, uh, has been able to just stretch the advantage a little bit more, a little bit more. So it's now up to 43 seconds. Immediately after the pit stop, it was just 40 seconds between first and second. So, uh, there does just seem to be something uh, a bit like the number 19 Porsche at Le Mans just had a little something that was a little bit quicker um, the number 18 just seems to be that little bit quicker uh, here at the Nürburgring this weekend mm. uh, and he's and he's really kind of delivering delivering those laps uh, and not losing that much time in traffic um, in comparison you know in comparison to the, the immediate competition I see the last time round uh, He's in the 40s, whereas th those behind are, are just into the 42s, and he doesn't appear, at, you know, an, another 40. Now that that's how you drive an endurance car quickly, as we've seen so many, so many times. It's uh, it's not that optimum pace, although that optimum pace does appear to be there for for the number 18 Porsche. But Lieb is just never losing time, uh, you know, constructively. Uh, to, to the chasing pack behind uh, and that's how a gap of 42 seconds gets built what's interesting about the problem for that um, number 17 Porsche is it appeared to be you know from the very beginning of the race didn't it, it never actually really was quick until they until they changed that nose uh, and I'm still at a little bit of a loss as to what problem they could have had that they wouldn't have known about before the start but would make them slow from the very original, you know, the very early laps of the race. I'll correct you slightly, Alex. Um, it was after the full course yellow that it started to go a little bit more slowly. Um, before the full course yellow, it was getting down into the 38s, 39s. Uh, after the full course yellow, it wasn't able to do it. So temperature related, must be. Uh, yeah, possible. Yeah, no, that's a good, um, good diagnosis. So uh, we'll, we'll throw that one into the mix as uh, uh, our somewhat remote diagnosis of uh, what was going on and uh, various contacts at the circuit will hopefully keep us up into uh, contact about what's happening. But certainly um, having had a good start laid by Neil Yarny in the number 18, the number 17 uh, is... Uh, uh, sorry, the... Um, 
in the number 18, Mark Lieb is now uh, continuing that in uh, the prototype class as we move into the pit stop window for the GT cars. Yep, out of the lead uh, in the GTE Pro class comes Michael Christensen handing over the 91 Porsche to Richard Leitz and so we'll then wait for Marco Sorensen who's running second in class to make his stop but uh, the 91 Porsche has laid its cars on the table very early on. Just talking about the lap times, Mark Lieb's last lap must have been traffic affected up to the 1 minute 43s so not such a good lap for the 18 Porsche but I'm sure I could see there was a bunch of cars just ahead of him and he caught them at a bad point on the circuit. You can see the, you can always see the lead pack flowing through the traffic for example, now uh, Marcel Fassler is, is in the gap that Lieb was just in and is now doing similar lap times. But the thing that's noticeable about Lieb out front is that when he does have a bad lap, they're not horrendous. And when he does have a good lap, they're stormingly quick. And there's just that little bit of, of relentlessness about the way, about the way that, that that car is, is leading out front. Um, that gap, of course, just notched down a little bit. Um, by the uh, by, the number seven Audi, while Lieb hits that little bit of traffic. Um, but you, we saw the pure pace of the Porsche in qualifying. It, it, it's clear. I, I, I'm impressed with how Audi have taken the fight to them, given the gap there was. I think uh, your point, Paul, about the the um, it, in race conditions, uh, the Audi being a little bit closer was absolutely bang on. Uh, you, you can see that that they're able to, as we see. The uh, number 42 Stracker, that's uh, our, our Johnny, has gone a little bit wide in, in Coca-Cola Curve. Well, he couldn't have gone any wider. He's held in by the tyre wall on the outside, but he went to the back of the gravel trap and hopefully will emerge out at the other end. What a shame. He's been putting a storming performance, fighting so hard with the senior tech Alpine, had a better pit stop um, and seemed to be making ground at last with clear, clear track ahead of him. But off, but we're short, back on. Haven't seen him rejoin, but he looks so he's he heading has. that way. He has, good. Yeah, I hope he's got some tickets in the passenger side of that to get back into the track um, <laughs> and, and, con- and continue the race because that was that was a, a very very wide moment. Unlike Johnny, isn't it? That, that's just by the uh, isn't that just by the coffee bar in the uh, in the Dorint Hotel? Though? It is. I think he's at table four. It's a nice window window table. He's done a very good stint, so he deserves a good lunch. Okay. But uh, <laughs> just finished his macchiato, I think. <laughs> yes. oh, Pour, poured it on his lap, I think. <laughs> Now, we've been talking about Mark Webber's progress. He's done a series of laps in the moment at 39. It's getting quite exciting as he's going to... He's, he's right on the tail of Marcel Fassler last time around. It opened out a little bit in traffic. And the battle for second place, it's uh, Porsche leading the way. Mark Lieb in the 18 that was started so strongly by Neil Yarny. But the battle for second place, Marcel Fassler holding it for Audi. But Mark Webber closing in, closing in, going through the, the, the smoother chicane we're running this weekend for the fourth round of the World Endurance Championship. About four car lengths behind as they run up to Coca-Cola Cola Curve and taking a different line to Johnny Kane. They've gone around the corner and continued on their way on the grey stuff. Lights flashing from Marcel Fasser as he comes up on the Senior Tech Alpine down into turn one and Mark Webber right under his wing. It's how they negotiate. Has uh, Panciatici seen them and moved to the outside to let them through? And yes, he has. Mark Webber right in the thick of the hunt here. Yeah, just pinched a little bit on the apex there of turn three by the Sinotec Alpine. At, so, at some point, as an LMP2 driver or as a GT driver, uh, you've got to make the apex. And uh, otherwise, you're going to have your own issues, which are going to knock on to, to the cars around you. So eventually, you've got to call it and say, look, my friend, you're in a faster car than me. 
uh, that's my apex there, and uh, if if I don't make it, it's going to be bad for all of us. So I'm going. So I'm going down. It's worth explaining. It's the you, when you go through the Mercedes Arena, turn one, the tight right, then you've got the sort of faster, more open turn two, and you get to turn three, it starts to tighten to the left now, but then it really tightens to the right. So the options, as Panchatichi found himself, the meat in that LMP1 sandwich were effectively non-existent and manners can only stretch so far Alex you really have to be patient through that first sector of the racetrack uh, there is an option to go uh, especially for the LMP1H cars with that uh, savage acceleration they have just wait uh, and go up the inside you know uh, on the exit but you know if you follow if you follow a slower class as we see that number 17 Porsche in the hands of Mark Webber really putting a concerted effort in again um, down into the NGK chicane at the back of the circuit uh, there's a point, yeah. There's a point at which, you know, if you follow a slower class through the apex of the corner, it's all time. And at the end of the day, you know, you're the you're the one who sits across the the boardroom with your boss at the end of the year, and he goes, "Why did you lose, you know, three tenths in turn seven? Well, I was actually just being really, really polite to the Aston Martin in front of me. Doesn't often cut it. In a, in a, you know, that, that's that's why we see incidents that can be classed as potentially silly, as we have the number ninety-eight Aston Martin pitting uh, in GTE Amp. What you can say over the last couple of laps, after some nice clear track, Mark Webber's caught all the traffic in the chase of uh, the the number seven Audi that's still holding on to uh, second place overall, but uh, that's driven at the moment. Uh, by Marcel Fessler, but Andre Lotter and Benoit Trelouet, they're facing the garage. They're quite enjoying the battle, but they're aware it could actually get a bit too heated as uh, Weber's got the speed. He can't find just the clear track to make, make the attack, but I think now he has got clear track. Yes, no slower cars immediately ahead of them as they go through chicane towards the end of another lap. Uh, Mark Weber closing in again as he's done many times, but so far the last couple of laps, traffic's got in the way all the time, and Marcel Fessler has used his track craft very well indeed and stayed ahead but uh, you feel it's only a matter of maybe another half lap until the or maybe as they come down to turn one the move will be made Mark Webber dives to the outside will he hold the line through the corner he's taking the long way around but no the inside line was occupied very nicely by Marcel Fessler and then chopping back to try and go around the outside at turn two but not having the, the grunt to do so unusual to say that for a Porsche but now the attack is being made by Webber up the inside into turn three and this is the point at which Marcel Fessler will have to back off or he'll be hitting the tyre wall on the inside. And back off he does. So Porsche's one and two. Audi very bravely in the battle for second place, but ending up in third at the moment. Yeah, and it's just that traction zone, isn't it? Out of turn two that offered him the opportunity that that savage acceleration put him in the position to outbreak down into turn three. And then he just had to, you know, all that was left to do was run him out of road. What we saw there was the absolute opposing battle uh, to the one we saw earlier in the race. Uh, and that's how it manifests with a car behind that's stronger in the other sections of the circuit. Now, the Audi coming into the area of the track where it's potentially stronger, where the Porsche couldn't, couldn't attack before. Here we see it again. Down the outside into turn one. Didn't work out. Cut back. And then follows him through that off-camber turn two, puts himself in, the, in a good position, and potentially a smidge of contact through turn three, and uh, runs him out of road, takes the inside for turn four, and off he goes. Well, what we're going to see now is uh, the sheer pace of the 17 Porsche. We've seen him being stuck behind Marcel Fessler in the 7 Audi for several laps, traffic getting in his way. Now he's clear, and now the traffic is between he and Fessler. So Fessler's 
Maybe had his best run, oh, almost catching the back of a Ferrari out of the Coca-Cola curve, and the Porsche uses all that famous grunt out of the Coca-Cola curve, accelerates, and is several seconds clear as they go down to turn one. Last time around, they were fighting for position, fighting for second, but very much the Australians now. Yeah, that uh, that Porsche has, has come alive a little bit, hasn't it? 39.2 uh, last time around with all of its various adventures thrown in. Uh, and it's come alive in the hands of Mark Webber uh, with, with that new front end on it. Uh, it'd be interesting to see the the uh, comparison between the two cars up front expecting kind of equivalent pace from, from Lieb and Webber. Uh, in fact, just worth pointing out, Alex, just as you said that, the screen clicked over, the, the lap in all the traffic was 1 minute 43. Um, sorry, 1 minute 41.7. God, the screen's bouncing around all over the place. Sorry, the 1 minute 43 was uh, Marcel Fassler's time. So a second and a half lost, I think we could say, on that lap. But a, a very, very clean fight. But I think one of the reasons I, I think, well, Endurance Championship is so fantastic this year is what you talked about. It's the opposing benefits, the opposing strong points of the car. The fact you can have them around um, various points of the circuit is brilliant. Really, really exciting. If only we could see Toyota in the mix offering something else, but at the moment they just can't manage it. So with uh, the first hour of and a bit gone, it's very much Porsche's race. Audi have been hanging in there and definitely the changes in the the technical regulations has brought them, have brought them into the battle, but I'd say Porsche look as though they've actually extended their advantage, if anything. Certainly they've moved their own target forward. And yes, the gap might have been closed by the technical changes, but Porsche are very much on the move. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I, I, would, I would say they're kind of dominant, at least in terms of pace at the moment, unless Audi have got something strategically for, him, but for them, but it doesn't appear that way at the moment, Paul. Well, 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 yes and no. If you compare it to the number 18, I absolutely agree with you. Um, but if whatever is wrong, let's just suppose something is wrong with the number 17, if that was wrong with the number 18 as well, um, then we've got a very, very close battle on our hands indeed. Um, so, yes, the, the 18 Porsche does have an advantage, but the, the number 17, um, you know, even since that new nose, it's not been able to draw away very much yet I mean we'll, uh, we've had this battle going on between uh, uh, Mark Webber and Marcel Fessler <clears throat> which we've uh, uh, been captivated by but uh, I think with um, still so much of the race remaining four and three quarter hours of the race still remaining there's still a battle on for second place and uh, as I say there's something in me that says with the, t- with the temperatures so high, although they've dropped away, no, it's still 29, isn't it? It's 29.7 degrees uh, air temperature at the moment, track temperature up at 38 degrees uh, and rising with uh, full sunshine at the Nürburgring. Um, you know, there's just something that makes me think that the Porsche um, might still have a reliability issue. Um, I mean, it was the total surprise that they ran so fault-free uh, at, the, at Le Mans, but... Um, up until the month, of course, remember they'd never had a 24-hour race, 24-hour test or any uh, kind of race without having some kind of problem. So, I think this is still um, this is still up for grabs, and I don't think by any means that uh, the <coughs> the number 18 car has it uh, all its own way. No, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I mean, thinking thinking strategically, uh, I guess you t- you tend to assume kind of 100% reliability which is nowhere near the case as demonstrated already in this race mm. by by the number 17 Porsche uh, but you know assuming that their 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 form and pace continues to be the case which anybody who watches motorsport even uh, as a casual viewer will know is is not a fair is not anywhere near like a fair assumption to make uh, the 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 number 18 Porsche in terms of speed, pace, has it sewn up? But you know, th- this is not 
this is not F1. This is <laughs> this is endurance racing. You know, there's four hours forty four of potential pitfalls yet to go. Uh, and you're absolutely right to say, you know, the 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 game is on. The game is on for everything. And we have seen Audi for years and years and years put in those performances where they're not the fa- they're not the fastest race car on the track, and somehow. You know, four rings cross the four rings cross the, the finish line ahead. How have they done that? And you have to go back and work it out because yes. it's it's elegant, isn't it? They're, uh, and they're, they're you know, Team Yurst uh, have done this a very very long time. So there there might be there might be there might be options for them. But at the moment, Mark Lee and uh, Mark Webber um, lead peerlessly at the front, and he is pulling away now. Mark Webber from uh, from Marcel Fassler behind. Four point eight seconds was the gap between them last time around, as uh, Webber lapped in a one minute thirty nine point one two seconds. He gained on that that lap alone over Marcel Fassler. He's got past and he's uh, making up ground as he goes right now. Though the race leader Mark Lieb in the thick of traffic going through the Coca Cola curve, he's got the race. He's con- able to control the race. And in fact, just seeing him uh, stuck behind one of the Toyotas he's just trying to find his moment no risks need to be taken and he's going past the number one car very tidily indeed and certainly in the number one car Anthony Davidson who took over uh, that at the pit stop one of the few driver changes in the prototype class ahead of uh, Kazuki Nakajima who started the race and then Anthony Davidson he knows he can't win this race on on sheer performance for Toyota so he's just keeping out of the way no damage uh, required for either he or the 18 Porsche leading away Mark Lieb also being very gentlemanly in that little battle. So he continues in the lead by 42 seconds over Mark Webber. That gap, I think, will come down a bit, but I think he can afford to shed a few seconds to keep a bit of life in the tyres. What a demonstration of the ebbs and flows of motorsport. You know, that, that Toyota, which has won races outright, you know, has been, you know, so... had had weekends of dominance uh, with, with that car... Uh, and now, you know, the Audi's passing it like it's traffic. <laughs> it's, it's unreal, isn't it? It's actually quite an uncomfortable thing to have to commentate on when you see that, that sort of shift. But then motor racing is about shifts. You talk about ebbs and flows. And at the moment, Toyota haven't done their homework to the extent that Porsche and Audi have done. And I think they've done a phenomenal job. But uh, it was good to see the drivers, certainly, you know, top-class crews in those Toyota Toyota's one and two. There's nothing they can do about it. They've just got to drive the cleanest race they can and just hope someone can weave some magic. But you are looking at 2016. I think that's right, Bruce. But uh, the interesting thing about, uh, about that, I had a, had a conversation with, uh, with Anthony Davidson about this very topic uh, earlier in the week. Um, you, you know how sometimes racing drivers seem to go off the boil and uh, people say, oh, they write them off and uh, it's as if the driver has forgotten how to drive. Well, drivers don't forget how to drive. It's just that the car doesn't deliver for them. And it's the same with manufacturers. Some team with the resources of Toyota will be developing stuff and the people who develop the car are just as clever now as they were in 2014 when they were developing, oh, sorry, in 2013 when they were developing the 2014 car. Uh, the 2015 Toyota is a step forward on the 2016 car but they, as you've said, they've been caught napping. They've, uh, they're not as quick as the competition is but the car has taken a step forward. But you can be absolutely sure that the car for the 2016 season, um, the engineers are going to develop something newer. So um, it's it's um, character building for the team for the remainder of this year, as you say. They're going to have to deal with it, um, but I'm sh- quite sure that Toyota hasn't forgotten how to build cars. Yeah, it's a question of resource as well. Uh, True. In, ter- in terms of the resource available to them, you know, people can only work with uh, with the resources that they have, and you know, the the cleverest guy in the world on a one pound budget can't 
can't <laughs> generate can't generate a racing car you know to, to pick a figurative pick a on a you know without the budget required to do so now they do have the budget required to do so they're, they're here they're racing and doing and doing so very credibly um but you know they're, they're not they're not on they're not using the same amount of resource as Porsche and Audi are to go racing you know uh, and maybe maybe it's showing here mm. could That's well right. be now Alex it's a delight having you here on Radio No More for all the insights you bring and, and everything beside you know it's really really good but we want to see you back in the cockpit now you're, you've started the year racing you've had time out you can explain why but we've just talked about winning mentality when you're on the sidelines hard to keep going but I'll just give an example when I used to play rugby I was in a team that used to win more often than not be expected to win and that that is a very powerful thing that you you are going to make you know realize that aim because that's what you expect if you've come off the boil i'm not saying you've off the boil of course not but how easy is it to maintain things from the sideline we're going to see you back in the cockpit for the years out hopefully you can tell us maybe not but just to keep yourself going keep yourself on your toes well, absolutely and you have to have that self-motivation yeah unfortunately my, my last race was uh, was in in daytona at the start of this year uh, and uh, i had a uh, a little bit uh, had a little bit of time out through through illness after that and uh, and lost out on, on my drive on my drive for this year but uh, yeah I'm working on something uh, to rejoin the the sports car world before before the end of this year so you will see me back in the cockpit somewhere which is which I'm really looking forward to because it's driving me mental not <laughs> not not driving the car but you're um, going to tell us before the race is out unfortunately you not want yet. to you really unfortunately want to. not yet but um, watch, watch this space on that one and. Uh, uh, I can't, it's, it's not quite done yet. I, I'm really looking forward to it, um, and uh, I, I will. I will be back in the race car before the, before the year's out. But keeping yourself on your toes in terms of, you know, drivers all have loads of self belief, or that's what you put out. But how easy is it to keep that when you, you start getting a little doubt? Because you have to go and deliver, and then you know your result. Well, one one thing's for certain that all drivers don't have endless self belief. <laughs> that 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 impression is often given. Um, it's sometimes true, but not always. And uh, I think, you know, you, you have to be, you have to believe in yourself uh, to, to, a, to a degree. And, but you also have to have the people around you who believe in you. Uh, and I was, I was really, really lucky to have uh, my family around me who, when, when I was, uh, you know, had to unfortunately be, be out of the car for a little while. I, uh, I was really, really lucky to have, you know, some, some great people around me who, who got behind me and, uh, um, um, you know, Told told me that it was all going to be okay and I, and I could do it. You know, obviously there are there are people in motorsport who you know see something, see a ship sinking, and think they and think I'll jump off it. Of course, um, but you know, then then you know when when you are back when you are back out out of the troubled waters, they uh, they they can't come back on. <laughs> so that that's that's the way it goes. But the yeah. I have I have a great family around me and they, they really help me out and I think motor you know racing drivers need that support uh, around them because it's a tough and pressurizing game. Yeah, there's no there's no hiding. One person is certainly not hiding out on the circuit. Earl Bamba having s- such a great run. He was up to second place in the GT class, but in a GTM class car now he's just come into the pits. But a really good run, very different as we've talked about the car he he last race in this championship, which of course was the winning car at Le Mans. Absolutely. Getting out of that car, coming in for uh, a driver change for the number 88. I saw that car backwards earlier on, uh, earlier on in the race, punted wide, unfortunately, uh, down in turn three, uh, but no damage, luckily for them, uh, apart from Cosmetic, and they are uh, still running strongly. Here's the GT Am battle, 
for third place between the AF Course and the Dempsey Proton racing cars. Uh, Perodo trying to find a way, never get away past Patrick Dempsey at this phase in the race as they're passed by the Collis. Yeah, it's interesting to hear that uh, Pat Dempsey's getting a, putting a film together about the 1961 Ferrari season, the World Championship season. So uh, I suppose that's been touched upon. Chris Rea did a film called, I've got to think what it's called, La Passione, about that championship. But any film about a, a period of history in motor racing, I think is great because it will educate a load of people who knew nothing about that season. So great to have Pat involved. He's racing in the Super Cup. He's racing in this. He just can't get enough racing. Oh, it's, great to, it's great to see motorsport in, in all sorts of varying different media because it gets people excited about the sport, gets people watching the sport you know you, you can imagine what the uptake uh, increase was after for example films like rush etc etc came on came on to you know the the conventional global media streams people start watching motorsport and that's great and often when people start watching motorsport they keep going this stuff's interesting yeah they don't necessarily follow what they were watching that got them drawn in but um yeah they'll they'll find something whether it just means they're going to put together a car and start going to track days or or whatever but it does get them involved and uh, more the merrier is the simple answer to that but uh out on the track how are we faring we're looking at that gap is it's coming down very slightly between mark lieb and mark webber we thought it would and mark still lapping in fact a second faster last time but it's it's still 40 seconds as near as sorry yeah 39.7 39.7 seconds between them and then quite a tidy gap back to Marcel Fester now so the Porsche advantage is uh, really starting to show itself and also for, for Porsche they're delighted that the number 17 car after that nose change is running at the sort of speeds the sister car the 18 car has been managing from the outset and uh, yeah the, the, uh, the number 17 yes please, the 17 and the 7 remember of course they came in for their pit stops early on the previous cycle uh, the Audi having had a puncture and the 17 requiring its new nose um, but uh, they'll be coming in and it'll be interesting to see how far they go they're currently on their 25th lap of their current stint um, and I was saying um, as we were getting ready for the race they'll be looking to do around about 32 laps or so so uh, a fair way to go yet until uh, the uh, pit stops come but we will see the 17 and the 7 I suspect coming in before uh, the 18 or 8 um, and then it's going to be an issue of actually what work gets done in the pits um, and how quickly it can get done because uh, the Audi uh, Marcel Fessler uh, stayed behind the wheel uh, of the Audi when he came in and uh, got going again, whereas the Porsche uh, changed drivers and had a full service. Um, we established that the Audi had a puncture, um, and as I say, they then had to change the tyres, so they may be able to be going on to a triple stint on the tyres, in which case they won't want to change the driver uh, because they won't be able to do that at the same time, or they may. We'll see uh, quite how what the uh, Audi strategy is for the number seven car, which is currently the higher placed of the two uh, Team Yurst uh, R18 e-tron quattros. Paul, I'm just looking at the uh, gap between first and second in uh, LMP2. It's 15 seconds or thereabouts, but uh, a slower lap last time around for Nick Tandy. I'm waiting for him to complete another. Is that an aberration? But certainly uh, Sam Bird lapping rather quicker, one and a half seconds faster in the G-Drive racing uh, Ligier in second place in class. 
Yes, it's. Uh, I'll have to check back to uh, to see, but I think it is. Uh, it was just, a, a, as you called it, an, an aberration for that car. Um, Tandy having uh, pitted later, there he goes through again uh, on a 154. So it's actually another slower lap from Nick Tandy. So uh, yeah, possibly there is an issue for the KCMG car. The two Ligiers having made their stops early. Remember when they came in, uh, 26 and 28. Uh, on the subject of P2, um, I'm reminded that um, we saw Nelson Panciatici having that battle with Johnny Kane. Well, they've both slipped um, uh, back, or they've both got themselves back ahead now uh, of Johannes van Overbeck, um, having dropped behind. Nelson Panciatici suffered a loss of power, which is what uh, dropped him down. Uh, and then Johnny Kane, of course, um, had his little um, gravelly moment at uh, the final corner. Um, so P2, that's a little bit further down in class. That's uh, the uh, Signatec Alpine. Nelson Panchatiti is fifth in class. Johnny Kane is sixth in class. Uh, and then the two extreme speed motorsports, ESM Ligiers, are in seventh and eighth in class, a little bit further down as far as P2 is concerned. But uh, no, it's a good spot there, uh, Bruce, because I think we need to keep our eyes on that KCMG car. Two slower laps in, on the, the trot from Nick Candy in the Orica. He did have a little bit of traffic when we were just looking at the screens, Alex. I think that's what you're about to say. Now he's got relatively clear lap. This is the one to see what he can do. It's only got a little bit bottled up. My, my theory on it is uh, the, the, the tyre regs in LMP2 really, really make you stretch. Um, make you stretch through the race. They're only allowed a, a certain amount of tyres for the race, which effectively means you have to double stint a tyre, which is pretty on the edge over that kind of distance now that kcmg a little bit more slippery a little bit higher uh, sorry a little bit lower downforce than the g-drive ligier behind uh the ligier i know babysits its tire very very well because the amount of downforce it carries less slip angle less tire damage less wear therefore goes a little bit longer Uh, we saw savage pace from the kcmg at the start of the race maybe nick just suffering a little bit of tire deg now as the as the tire gets really towards the end of his life because when you hit the cliff uh with those uh dunlop tires they they uh it's all over right little battle just I had to cut in before we quite finished that point was Loic Duval in fourth place is really closing in on Marcel Fassler he's taken about two seconds out of him in a couple of laps and it doesn't seem to have been traffic affected and uh, they've got a fairly clear track ahead of them but it was four seconds between them it's down to two and a bit and uh, visually it's down yet more on this lap so the French driver attacking the Swiss this is the battle between the two Audis fighting for third place overall they don't seem to have an answer to the Porsches at the moment Mark Lieb leading the race from Mark Webber but uh, they're Certainly the number seven and eight Audis. They've been doing a lot of fighting in this race with each other in the early stages when they were trying to get out from behind Timo Bernhardt, but uh, now they're rejoined. They have. It's been, it's been quite polite, though, thus far. They thought discretion was the better part of valour earlier on. Uh, they were having... There were a couple of moments uh, where I thought they could have had a more concerted go at each other but got smart and decided to chase after the Porsches. Perhaps at this phase of the race... No, that you know what? They're still in touching distance of Mark Webber, so there's, there's not... Uh, it's not a kind of an every man for yourself job yet, is it? Th- th- they still need to work together and uh, and be and be fast and efficient and see if they can pick off uh, that number seventeen Porsche currently running in second place. But you've still got to be 
nice and clean on your lines. Marcel Fessler dived down past one of the Toyotas into turn one and then ran very wide on the exit. Yes, there's space to do that, but you don't know what's lying over the kerbs on the far side. You could certainly pick up some debris that you do not fancy on your tyres. Absolutely. I mean, there's there's definitely a line to be drawn, uh, but it, it's very easy to sit in the con box and say, wow, that looks aggressive. But to a degree, you have to be aggressive because there's so much time to be won and lost. You know, you're you're connecting every apex as though your life depends on it to try and shave tenths off your lap time. And then there's a in the form of traffic ahead of you. There's a great big fat wadge of time which is seconds long that you just have you just have to you know you have to take that. And as you said. <laughs> Marcel Fessler got roundly chopped and uh, lost all the advantage he'd gained over the last half of a lap. So, again, you do it all perfectly, then someone else puts their car where you want to go. You're facing a decision. Tap them or back off. That's you had endurance to back racing. Off. I've spotted a... Uh, did you did you see that? The um, stop-and-go penalty for the, the number 18 just popped up on our screen. No. Uh, very, very briefly. We'll have to wait for confirmation on that one uh, but we just received uh, a message on our screen here Paul yeah no you're absolutely right Alex well spotted um, I, I was uh, just looking at track limit uh, warnings which are being handed out um, which uh, there's been a black and white flag now being issued to the number 92 Porsche uh, and also to the number 96 Aston Martin but then immediately after that um, this it's described as a technical infringement uh, but it is a five second stop and go penalty for the race leader but uh, quite what technical infringement that might be uh, I've got no idea um, but oh, here we go it's an excess uh, excess fuel consumption thank you Eduardo um, you see everything comes up on my screen thank you um, excessive fuel consumption so it's the um, megajoules per limit uh, megajoules per lap limit or um, the kilograms per hour limit one or the other um, which are I thought they were actually fitted with restrictors on the cars to prevent the drivers from going over them, but uh, that's the infringement, and it's a five-second stop and go, Alex. Well, maybe that that restrictor has failed, hence technical. Yes. Um, it could could be could be the case there. Yeah, normally, uh, you, I was under the impression that if they did go over, they were allowed uh, the next two laps to to almost readdress the balance. Um, but it seems as though that that process has not occurred in any case. There's, there's two. There's two aspects to it. There's the there's the three lap rolling average, which you refer to, which is to do with megajoules per lap. But there's also an instantaneous max petrol flow limit, which is measured in kilograms per hour, um, which for the Porsche at the Nurburgring is 87 kilograms per hour uh, of fuel, and that goes through a fuel sensor. Um, and as I say, I. Um, the restrictor. There isn't a uh, an FIA restrictor. This is a team which can, in, in order to prevent the driver having to think about too much, the team actually puts a little restrictor on it itself. But if that restrictor fails for whatever reason, then the driver may overuse the fuel, um, which might go some way to explain the, pace, the, pace <laughs> the of poor course. performance of it. <clears throat> if, if indeed that has failed, then that that surely is a that surely is a race long issue that that's not a that's not a one time problem uh, and it, w- it will be something that will continue to happen then not, to the can, to they the can no, be replaced they can be replaced presumably at considerable you know utilizing considerable pit stop time uh, however um, I, I assume they have a backup option um, but yeah, it would it would appear that that, that has not uh, been functioning for them. And Mark Lieb is coming into the pit, so he'd had the message. Now let's see the five second stop and go penalty. Stops in front of his pit garage. 
That's when five seconds feel like at least 10 or 15, but uh, the blue board is up and underway again goes the German driver. So he'd had that message. Mark, uh, sorry, Neil Yani, who started the race, clearly had no such messages and uh, drove the pace he did. Be interesting to find out when exactly uh, that infringement took place but what we know the lead was 36 seconds uh, when he came into the pits and as he comes back he's just ahead of Mark Webber but Mark Webber in the sister Porsche going around the outside or trying to at turn one not managing to make it work but again we've seen Webber's very strong out of turn two of course rival Porsches have the same performance but oh Webber given a bit of a nudge off out onto almost the bank circuit Alex on the outside stays in second place nearly had a change of lead there yeah Webber receiving a lovely hip and shoulder there from uh, Mark Lee coming out the pits having sat there you know, having trolled along the pit lane uh, at slow speed and then sat there for five seconds, a little bit colder tyres uh, on the on the Porsche 919 hybrid of Mark Lieb, and uh, and he had to get slightly robust with Mark Webber. Good that they can, good that they're letting them do that. Well, good for us anyway. But um, yeah, I would be uh, a touch a touch more polite with my teammate. I'll be honest. Okay, now you just talked about how the tyre temperature would have dropped in the pits. Really, in five seconds, do you think? Do you feel an appreciable difference? Well, it's not five it's seconds. It's not. You're coming into the pits it, and yeah, you're going you're, out again. You're, but but yeah, yes, absolutely. I mean, think think about the tyre loading on the circuit. A couple of things are going on. A, the tyre's rotating very quickly, which generates heat anyway. Has aero load massively, which generates further heat. And then you slide it across the tarmac at, you know varying varying speeds and aggressivities uh, it, it's you know it's very it, it needs to retain a significant amount of load to 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 make to maintain its temperature it's quite it's quite you know a strong and hard rubber okay so the further point in that question was we've just seen a replay and it showed mark Webber was accelerating around the outside of turn two getting onto that towards that little short straight down to turn three do you think the tyre temperature dropped enough in Mark Lee for him not to have enough grip to quarter where he did? Because he certainly seemed to work his way a little towards the outside of the circuit. Over to you, Alex. <laughs> I, I don't have opinions on that kind of thing. I, I don't have opinions. I just drive in circles. That's me. Um, no, I, th- I think absolutely. But Mark Lee on the inside, entitled yeah. to take his line, does have to leave Mark Webber a car length technically. But I'm not sure Mark... It, it, it's one of those that if it was grass and tyre wall on the outside, then Mark Webber would be uh, would be ringing up the race director. But, you know, everybody lives to fight another day on a modern Formula 1 uh, spec racetrack. And uh, I, I'm pretty sure it will be glossed over. I think so. Now Mark's starting to attack again, as you'd expect. And they've got the uh, Stracker Gibson just in front of them, slightly delaying... Uh, Mark lead there, this is the chance for Mark Webber to close in, but then in turn he's going to have to go around the black and white Gibson, which he does in the blink of an eye, so he's right now under the tail of Mark Lieb. Yeah, that's... Sorry, Paul. Sorry, Alex. Webber is on to his uh, 32nd lap of this stint now. Uh, now, the maximum, I reckon, well, I'd say the maximum, uh, maximum that I reckon he can go would be 34. Uh, I'd expect him to be coming in at 32, 33, though. Um, so we'll be, ha- having had this brilliant battle for the lead, it's going to be spoiled for us, I'm afraid, because uh, um, both Marcel Fessler and Mark Webber in Audi and Porsche, respectively, will be due into the pits pretty much at the end of this lap. Nelson, st- Nelson Hartley standing ready to go, so you're spot on the money again, Paul, but uh, very exciting action. We've just uh, had the pleasure of watching an Aston Martin driver being scared as one of the Porsches went one side and one the other. It went on Mika Hakkinen on us there, didn't yeah, it? Mika Hakkinen at Spa. Yeah. Absolutely, I thought I thought we might get that done. I was going to get I was going to get very I would have shouted I would have shouted for that. I was going to get very excited as we see uh, the number seventeen now coming into the pits. Uh, that is that car of Mark Webber. So absolutely, Paul, 
correct, um, expecting him in imminently. Were they on were they on equivalent tyres, um, Lieb and Weber at, at that point? Uh, yes, I think so. Um, because we had the news that the reason that the Audi came in was uh, oh, sorry, Lieb and Weber. Yeah. Uh, sorry, I thought you. Um, yes, because Lieb. No, Lieb. Lee did change tyres, didn't he, when he came in? So, yes, they were on equivalent tyres. It's just interesting, uh, the, the pace difference for Mark Webber to be able to attack uh, with that ferocity, even when Lee had kind of got back up to speed after his penalty, uh, yeah. was was quite a differential in pace uh, for Mark Webber to be to be having a go at him with, with uh, you know, with that much momentum, if you like. Another set of tyres going on. Yes, the only... The only thing I can suggest in that one, Alex, is that if Lieb is having to look at a different uh, gauge or is having to do an additional piece of work, you know, and you know what, uh, what it's like having to drive one of these cars, you have your hands full just trying to keep the car on the road without having to worry about looking at all the knobs and gauges on the dashboard. And I think Lieb may have that as an extra distraction. Sure. And now they've got one penalty. They'll have to, it'll, it'll also have to have a safety margin, which will lose, mm. which will lose him a little bit of time as well. Uh, because, you know, the, the, the automated the automated restrictor will be absolutely on the limit whereas the driver looking at the the digital readout will have to put will have to put a, a, a nice soft um, a nice soft um, cushion in there mm, absolutely right uh, that- so pit stops then for Mark Webber handing over to Brendan Hartley as uh, Bruce was saying uh, and the pit stop that time for the Porsche quicker than for Audi Audi Marcel Fessler handing the car over to Andre Lotterer uh, and five seconds gained in the pit so um, even though they had an advantage anyway the Porsches over the Audis that advantage increased as a result of slick pit work by Porsche we talked about that before the start of the race and it was just very interesting looking on screen at the parallel pit stops okay slightly out of sync because of course the Porsche came in ahead but you can't see the difference but the stopwatch doesn't lie so you were absolutely bang on Paul and uh, it's continuing so hats off to uh, Porsche there and after so many years of being accustomed to Audi being the creme de la creme in the pit lane it's really interesting this change. Absolutely. Sorry Alex just quickly I I had the opportunity to talk to Carl Wilson Clark who's the engineer on that number 17 car just before he went out to uh, to Germany Uh, and I asked him that very question of course he's not going to tell me what the answer was but uh, he he said it was no one thing it's just optimising all the little things that you have to do Uh, yes you have to change the wheels yes you have to put the fuel in you have to get the driver to do his bit he has to be right on the pit lane limiter as he comes in stop the car in the right place and then get right on the pit lane speed limit on the way out and it's adding up all those little things, Alex, as you well know, that makes the big difference overall. Just just want to cut in before you answer, Alex. Uh, other things like not overshooting your pit stop, uh, your pit garage, but uh, the KCMG LMP2 class leader came in and had to be pushed back into position because there was a car parked where just the garage before, very tight up with them. Yeah, and that's just the sort of thing that's, that is unlucky. You do drill that. Um, but that, that will cost them time. Uh, I'm not sure if they're under... I don't think they're under threat from Roman Rusinov in uh, the number 26 G-Drive racing. But, yeah, absolutely. And you'll get, you know, 200 pit stops in to the year, given, uh, on you know, considering all of the drills that are done that you see the teams doing week in, week out in the pit lane. And one day a mechanic will go to another mechanic and go, why don't you just, you know, the gun which you drop there, why don't you just drop it this way so I can pick it up, etc., etc. Uh, and it's, it's Kaizen, you know, it's, it's continuous improvement. 
uh, and these it's amazing how quickly these things can be done uh, I've been through that process myself actually in, in Tudor United Sports Car Championship where you really have to get the driver changes done quickly because everything happens at once fuel, tyres and drivers and you know you start off doing 30 second driver changes like, uh, like you do in the WEC and you end up doing 12 because you've just beavered away at it uh, uh, and you spend so long trying to, trying to get the thing right you know now you're sitting in the car during a pit stop. Obviously, you're being extracted and or, or and or get it, getting in. How well do the crew react when you say, "Why don't you do this?" To your suggestions, they say, "You just do do your bit, and we'll do ours." Or are they quite open? Depends how good the crew are. I mean, so, you know, uh, I think in a in a in a race team environment, when somebody comes up to you and says you, you could possibly do your job differently. Uh, the way to react to that is you want to win and I want to win and I love how much you want to win you want to win so much you're criticising me that's great you know uh, and and I I would hope that that would be the way that others would react if I did if I did the same you know I think you have to be open and you have to be prepared to accept the the, the attitudes and um, attitudes and ideas come from everywhere in a race team that's how you work successfully with a group of people and that's how you beat Audi in the pits yeah and just just while you were saying that watching watching the 18 Porsche making a dive Mark Lieb you know he's had the, had the the drive through and uh back out on track but the person who's really on the move Brendan Hartley's taken over the sister car the 17 Porsche running in third place overall lapping in the one minute 39s no one else below one minute 41 and a half seconds so that car of course new fuel load but fresh rubber fresh driver and uh, certainly uh, the Kiwi delivering in style at the moment in third place. How far back is he from the number... Well, of course, I can't really tell you from the number eight Audi because that's just pulled into the pit lane. Yeah, of course. Just watching that um, Mark Lieb number 18 like a hawk to see if they are actually ailing at the front of the field on account of that fuel flow issue uh, and if there are any if there are any knock-on effects. I'll watch them for a couple of laps and see. Uh, G-Drive Racing passing Stracker as the pit stops roll through at the front of the field but I expect to see that KCMG back at the front of LMP2 Paul it, it will go back into the front uh, Alex yes as, as far as the number 18 uh, Porsche is concerned don't watch it by a hawk just yet because it's going to be into the pits for its proper uh, pit stop in a minute it's just had a pit stop but of course that was a stop and go no work was done on the car so it still needs fuel still needs tyres uh, and it will go around for another two laps I think they've got in uh, fuel aboard for that uh, uh, Porsche. Mark Lee will therefore be into the pits, I reckon, not at the end of the lap that he's currently on, but on the one after it. Um, but then it'll be interesting to see uh, quite how quickly it goes. At the moment, it certainly is not going as quickly uh, as Brendan Hartley is going. But uh, Brendan, as Bruce was just saying, of course, uh, with brand new tyres on the car, is likely to be able to lap more quickly. And he's just, he's just followed on from his 1 minute 39.9 second lap with 1 minute 38.8. So he's getting right into the good ballpark. But those are the laps we saw all the top four runners doing in the early stages of the race. And still the fastest lap was set early on by the number 18 Porsche. 1 minute 37.955 seconds by Neil Yarny. Neil, of course, of the pits. Mark Lieb driving that 18 around. And as Paul Truswell's just pointed out from the Woking Data Centre that uh, the 18 Porsche due in very soon indeed and it looks like that will be taken over by Roman Dumas who's got his helmet on in the Porsche garage waiting for his run in the car that dominated the early stages of the race of course the drive-through penalties pulled it back and a bit of encouragement there for Roman who drove so strongly in qualifying to share the qualifying with Mark Lieb to take the pole position here at the Nürburgring in this 31 car field
Yes, we've only had 30 cars actually playing properly, though, because the, uh, sadly the Rebellion uh, only did one lap in uh, the hands of Alex Imperatore. Um, so we uh, only had that uh, one lap, and it was, uh, did one lap, and then was pushed straight into its garage. Um, apart from that, um, everybody is still going, uh, although we did have a problem, we have had problems for the number 12 Rebellion. Uh, that, though, is still circulating, albeit right at the uh, back of the field. Uh, and the number 51 Ferrari, which Jimmy Bruni um, parked down at the Dunlop Curve, Turn 8, um, managed to get it going again after it had been pulled back behind the wall, pulled it back into the pits. It had a pit stop, uh, and that car's got going again, uh, and is also still uh, charging. And, of course, it is in the uh, hunt still for uh, championship points if it gets to the finish and completes the required 70% uh, of the winner's time, uh, winner's distance to be classified. Still waiting just to give you a, a, an answer as to the gap between Mark Lieb and uh, Lucas Di Grassi, who's just come out of the pits in the number eight Audi, but if he will drop back because, in fact, we've had quite a few pit visitors right now. And Alexander Wurz has just popped up into second place for Toyota, but we know that's out of sequence and his Toyota is effectively running. That's the number two Toyota is running in sixth position. So, in the pits at the moment, we've got uh, one of the extreme motorsport DJs, and this is the stage driver change is coming thick and fast. Uh, but some, some crews have put their third driver in because, of course, Romain Dumas will be about to take over from Mark Lieb, and he'll be the third driver in the car that started from pole position, the number 18 Porsche. Absolutely. As will the number 17 car because Timo Bernhardt started that. Mark Webber took it over. Brendan Hartley, the third driver. So cycling through the drivers very much more quickly uh, in the six hours of Nürburgring than, for example, at Le Mans, where uh, very often we'd get uh, a quadruple stint uh, for the first two drivers and the third driver wouldn't be getting in the car until uh, very nearly five or six hours into the race. And that'll be temp temperature related uh, when, it's, when it's hot out there. Uh, I, I remember seeing a similar situation, or it is every year a similar situation in uh, in Kota uh, in in Austin where the track is really really physical and hot and uh, you know modern LMP sports prototypes are not notorious for ventilation you don't tend to have uh, you know well we're definitely in, in the Ligiers we didn't have any kind of air conditioning system we just had vents um, uh, you don't want to carry it if you don't have to there is a mandated cockpit temperature but it's in relation to ambient so um, you know if if the ambient if the ambient is horrendously high then you're just gonna you're just gonna run out of water in there it's not a case then mm. of how fit you are you can be as fit as you like if, if you if your body's just plain run out of fluid then then you're always gonna fade uh, and you know these guys could probably do two stints uh, but why? Why? Why do that? Why bother? Why? Why put your fa a faded driver back in the car for a second stint when you can take him out, give him a physio, feed him some electrolytes, and throw him back in it in a couple of hours? You know, that's uh, that's just just smart management. Absolutely, and particularly with the tyre was being changed pretty much at every stop as well, uh, then there is time to change the driver at the same time. Talking of ambient, as you were, Alex, it's now up to 30.3 degrees uh, air temperature, the track temperature at 38.9, so both air and track temperature continuing to rise, uh, just coming up to 3 o'clock in the afternoon uh, at the Nürburgring. So uh, there'll, there'll still be temperature, I would think, will continue to rise until about 4 or 5 o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah, ab absolutely. And when, and when you see, oh, that was very, very wide. It's worth explaining what we talk about there. Mark Lee took a run just lapping 
yet another lap on someone. But it, this is his in lap, and it was in the fast right hander in the dip as you come down from the ITT uh, corner. And uh, two wheels very much on the dirt. So taking a risk as he went around the, the Corvette on the left hand side of the track, and then it comes up the hill, immediately has to cut to the right hand side to go into pit lane. Roman Dumas now, Carl's been stationary, he's just clambering on board, fresh set of rubber, I'm sure. And uh, Mark Lieb also pulls into the pits as well. Of course, he was out of sequence because of that drive-through penalty. He is out. And uh, that's where Romain Dumas goes in. And again, just the uh, mechanics checking under the nose of the car. Check all is clear in that 18 Porsche. Yeah, oh, and we have, a, we have a Toyota going for adventures as well. This is a moment of truth now for that Mark Lieb, uh, well, until now, Mark Lieb piloted number 18 car. Are they going to have to do any maintenance or uh, repairs under the hood of that car to prevent further technical infringements. It doesn't look like they are, but it will tend to be right at the end. Um, in fact, they'd normally do it after fuel and then put tyres on right at the end. So it looks like nothing has happened, and indeed it hasn't uh, to that Porsche. Uh, that will then lose ground to its sister car, who moves into the lead of the race, number 17, pit stop neutral. But that is the first change of lead of the race, because even though the number 17 Porsche uh, has been close to the lead when Mark Webber was driving it, that's the first time, assuming that it gets round to the end of the lap, um, which for my statistics means it uh, doesn't lead the race till it gets round to the end of the lap, but it is the first time that that number 17 car has led the race, uh, Alex and Bruce. Yeah, well, we'll see what the raw speed of the car is, but that drive-through penalty, certainly the curveball that went into the face of the uh, 18 crew still... Just over four hours of this race remaining to work their way back to the front. The Audi still giving chase and the seven Audi with Andre Lotterer on board is the one on the charge in third place. Another Porsche running off the circuit. That's the Abu Dhabi car and uh, that rejoins. But uh, plenty of gravel here and as, as um, Alex Brundle pointed out, there's plenty of space that you can uh, run through when you go off. That was down at the Dunlop hairpin at the bottom of the circuit and uh, a bit of rallycross and uh, swinging the tail around on the 88 Porsche rejoins, full of all sorts of gravel, just for fun, and hopefully not spitting too much back onto the circuit. You know, that sort of thing, though, it's, n- it's not consequence-free. That You know, the, there's so much rubbish out there. When you know, Race cars, are, you know, they, they, they go through the gravel a lot, but they're not designed to. And uh, you know, there are so many moving parts that, that can be affected hours later by a trip through the gravel like that. Well, well, it wasn't just the, the trip through the gravel. When we saw uh, one of the Toyotas going off earlier, that was a long run across the grass, and it was amazing just how bumpy it was in the outfield there. And you know, many, many things can be just twisted and tweaked by that little outing. And uh, probably, I was right at the end of the stint, the number two uh, Toyota is in the pits at the moment. Alexander Wirtz, very short stint for him, and he's out. Or maybe the race is just starting to accelerate in my mind, but uh, he's out of the car. Mm. He took the number, two one over, the number two over from Mike Conway, so Stefan Sarazan now climbing on board. Yep, 32 laps for uh, Alexander Wurtz, just 31 laps for Anthony Davidson, um, 32 laps for Mark Webber, and 32 laps for Marcel Fessler. So 32 laps is kind of the going rate for a P1. And um, the advantage that Toyota has is that their first two stints were pretty long as well. They did 31 laps uh, in their two cars. Um, So again, we're looking at a seven stint but uh, it'll only be a short stint the uh, seventh stint um, on the race just six pit stops uh, so with the eight sets of tyres they won't even have to use the set of tyres they used in qualifying I don't reckon yep the the best Audi some 30 seconds behind they're still in touch aren't they uh, with all of Porsche's uh, various penalty woes 
the first of the Audi still very much in touch with um, with the number 17 and 18 Porsche. Um, yes, um, it, it's an interesting one, that one, Alex, and I think we're going to have to wait for a lap just to see how it pans out, to see how whether it is a, a trend uh, or whether it's just the result of a couple of quick laps, uh, either quick in laps or quick out laps from the Audis. But uh, you, you're absolutely right. They're not, the, the Audis may not be quite uh, on it, but they're not that far off. Well, it, w- it would only take one more um, error of a similar magnitude to put the to put the number seven car, well, uh, you know, for, for for both cars to put the number seven car well in the hunt or at least past one of those mm. Porsches, uh, and then and then we've got to race on again um, up front. Um, it, it's only them though, isn't it? Because the the Toyotas are just absolutely nowhere. But um, yeah, it's it's still very much all to play for it, it smacks towards what we what we spoke about earlier you know that it's strategically you assume 100 percent reliability you assume no penalties it almost never works out like that does it <laughs> absolutely um just looking down into the uh, gt ranks uh, at the moment gt pro being led by the number 91 manti team porsche they're coming up towards um they're about halfway through their second stint so a little while yet before we see uh, leets coming into the pits with the number 91 car but uh, again looking for the um the pace of the field and uh, the number 91 at the moment is uh sitting on a 22 second advantage on the rest of the field and he's gradually managing to eat that one out as well it was 18 at the beginning of the stint when he got into the car and he's moved up uh, something like four seconds over the 15 laps of the stint thus far so uh, the number 91 porsche currently uh, showing very good pace um the ferrari it is in second place the number 71 ferrari the remaining good ferrari uh, the af corsa car holding second place just ahead of the third placed uh car in uh, gte pro which is the second of the two manti porsches to uh, two porsches sandwiching a ferrari uh, and two P1 Porsches up at the front. It's looking good for uh, the men from Weissach. Yeah, that AF course Ferrari on a uh, on a slightly different strategy. Of course, we saw that early pit stop for James Collado, didn't we, potentially to check right. uh, on the issue that befell uh, its, um, its teammate uh, car. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that pans out with... Um, seemingly equivalent pace although you are right that uh, that Manti portrait of Richard Leeds is starting to expand its gap uh, at the front of the field yeah, Porsche is looking very good out on the circuit very lively as Danny Watts uh, in the battle for 6th place in LMP2 uh, he's fighting against Scott Sharp in the extreme one of the two extreme speed motorsports Ligier and in the meantime they were both just uh, overtaken by one of the LMP1 Audis so they managed to keep the keep clean but all race whenever we look up the Stracker Racing Gibson is behind another car trying to take the battle to it we've seen it running through the gravel with Johnny Kane up at the final corner of the lap and now it's uh, Danny Watts's turn to go on the attack but they are fighting for sixth place in class so we expected not not any necessarily better from Stracker Racing but the speed's been there in fits and starts but it's their first run with the car what interests me as well is those two Ligiers with the Honda engine don't seem to be able to deliver the performance of the of the Nissan um, at, at the front of the field. I don't know that there could be uh, a lot of reasons why that is, but uh, for whatever reason, the ESM have not been fighting at the front the way the G-Drive racing Ligiers have been. 
Um, the weight the weight balance of the HPD engine car in the WEC is not as good as it is um, in Tudor because you have ballast a bit of ballast to play with um, to that you can throw that you can throw in the front end of the car and uh, and that sorts out it's quite a heavy power unit and and quite high as well uh, that that HPD engine but um, yeah it's, I would have thought they would be disappointed pointed not to be challenging the what i would perceive to be the almost almost the works cars you know the the two uh, the two g drive racing cars yeah it was a toe in the water at the end of last year in the wec for extreme speed motorsports but they aren't delivering one of the the, the lead of their two cars scott sharp doing a, a decent enough job but it, it is a chasm a smaller chasm than it had been before to the the g drive cars they definitely got the legs big time in fact uh, roman rusinov now leading lmp2 uh, from the kcmg orica so Rusinov ahead of house and eight seconds the gap between them. Gustavo Yakaman has taken over the 29, the 28 sister car. That's uh, another eight seconds or so behind. But uh, for now, the fixation, uh, whenever we look at the monitors, is the battle with the Stracker Racing Gibson right behind with Danny Watts at the wheel. Pushing, 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 but no- nothing doing, I'm afraid, in terms of getting past Scott Sharp as they go through the Mercedes Arena one more time. And uh, if Danny cares to look in his mirrors, he'll find a rather faster LMP1 Audi right behind him and in fact behind turns into a long side in the blink of an eye and uh, he has no problems going past the LMP2 duo but Danny Watts does have some problems trying to get past the Ligier hasn't managed it yet it's one of the things that blows your mind when you start endurance I started endurance racing in LMP2 first time I went to Le Mans and, and you're going down the Mulsanne straight and you think man this is fast this is really fast and then one of the works P1 cars blows past you like you're parked with your blinker on on the side of, on the on the side of the M11 or you know like 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 you've broken down and they're just they are just ridiculously quick when you get out there the, the especially now uh, with the the amount of traction and, and the four-wheel drive hybrid systems uh, that are available to them they are just peerlessly fast machines because when you are you're, you're calibrated what you're doing is 100% performance there can be no more and then kaboom most extraordinary yeah. but in fact it was that wasn't the visually the strongest way we've seen it but just a sheer acceleration out of the mercedes arena out of turn four Boom, straight past uh, the place you notice it most actually is out of the uh, the dunlop chicane and i'm talking at le mans the, the with the the dunlop bridge uh, and it's a little bit uphill on the exit and uh you know you, you're you're in a you're in an air restricted air, you know airbox restricted uh, v8 um, LMP2 at 900 kilos, and uh, and a hybrid-assisted LMP1 takes off in the traction zone, and it is just gone before you've even figured out which one it is. It is unbelievably fast. In fact, I think LMP2 could actually use a little bit more poke these days, um, and they're actually considering giving them giving them that, aren't they, uh, in, in the coming years? You know, just uh, looking down at the LMP2 battle, trying to get my head around because we now got the uh, KC, uh, sorry, the G Drive car leading the way ahead of the KCMG. Number 26, uh, Roman Rusinov uh, at the wheel of the G Drive Ligier, ahead of Matt Housen, who's taken over the KCMG Orica. Um, but as we go into a full course yellow as well, um, the reason is that the KCMG car lost about 20 seconds on the pit stop. Uh, handing that car over to uh, Matt Housen, uh, it was a 1 minute 32 second pit stop as opposed to the G-Drive car, uh, which Roman Rusinov took over from Sam Bird, uh, and their pit stop was just 1 minute and 15 seconds uh, so that's the reason why we've had to change in leadership as far as the P2 uh, category lead is concerned 